You know, it's 11 days in to February. This is the Hagman Report for today, Monday, February 11th, 2019. It doesn't seem like it should be February. We have a great show lineup for you today. Bottom of the hour, Reagan Babe. And uh, folks, if you, if you haven't done so already, follow her on Twitter. And, uh, and then we've got Brandon House coming on, followed by Peter Barry Chalka. I'm going to kick it over to you. All right. We got a lot to get into today. Bring it in. I don't know where to start. There's a few um, <clears throat> threads here that we are looking at. I've been following the Ruth Bader Ginsburg absence or uh, whatever you want to call it. She has uh, last week apparently was at this concert. We covered that, but she wasn't really there. There's no pictures of her being there. Only people saying she was there. Then she skipped the State of the Union address. There was an interesting write-up out of the Daily Caller. Justice Ginsburg's possible incapacity and the case for judicial term limits. And this is more of an an opinionated piece, but it makes some good points about Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg having a difficulty in carrying out her judicial duties as uh, people are speculating whether she should be able to continue or whether she can continue or not. They say that this author says that this problem of justices outliving their judicial capacity has reoccurred throughout U.S. history, history, but it may be growing more acute as advances in healthcare enable physical strength to outlive mental capacity. Yet they don't have uh, basically a standard as to follow for uh, whether justices should be able to serve lifetime goals or what criteria would it be to be able to remove them. Let's give it, for instance, if somebody has... Uh, Alzheimer's and they start to lose their memory. Should that person be able to continue on the bench even though they have this uh, mental uh, cognitive disability or or disease? And that is the question that is being posed here. Uh, Should there be some sort of uh, standard by which the Supreme Court nominees uh, must adhere to as far as not term limits, but kind of like when you renew your driver's test? You know, when you get older, you have to renew your driver's test for eyesight and uh, mobility and different reasons. So should there be the same kind of standards applied to the Supreme Court? Right now, there isn't any. And that leaves the question to be asked. If there is uh, or if it should be put into place, how do you get that done? But it says uh, the only way right now that it stands that Ruth Bader Ginsburg could be removed is that two-thirds of the Senate, a constitutional requirement that two-thirds of senators vote to Uh, impeach some official for a arbitrary political action. But Congress has been been unwilling to terminate distinguished judicial careers that way. The impeachment and conviction process has never been successful to remove a Supreme Court justice. So what alternatives or constitutional alternatives are there uh, in order to resolve this problem? And they go through potential solutions. You know, they they say perhaps the 75-year-old uh, cap age cap should be uh, maybe a, a fixed retirement criteria as being part of the Supreme Court. I don't know. Uh, obviously, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's illness and or recovery from or whatever is going on with her, uh, she has been absent from the Supreme Court, and we can be told until we're blue in the face that she's running laps, you know, around the track, and she's meeting with her personal trainer, joining the uh, you know Bodybuilders of America bus tour. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Not until we see. What is really going on with her? Not till we understand and know the extent of uh, her incapacitation. So there's that, but that's not really going to, uh, uh, you know, the, the mainstream media. And this is one interesting thing. The last thing on Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I'll say, has been working overtime. 
to make it appear as though everything is okay with her. Even Fox News, I saw a few different pieces over the weekend mention her, and they mentioned that concert, and then they were also defending why she was not at the State of the Union. Well, she hasn't been there for a few years. The last time she went is in 2016. This is very standard for Supreme Court justices not to go. I mean, basically piling on all the excuses as to why she didn't didn't have to and wasn't there, which makes me think even more that something's going on because you don't talk about it that much. If it's a non-issue, it's a non-issue. Why continue to bring it up? Why continue to uh, you know, say she was somewhere when there is no evidence that she was in that place? Why continue to make excuses for her not being places that she should be? It doesn't make sense unless there's something more going on behind the scenes. We demand proof of life. Yeah, Simple as I that. Think, I think the uh, American I, public I, I is out. Yep, Have yep, her send out a, yep. a tweet uh, no, holding no, today's no, newspaper no, no. with her thumbs up. Well, or okay. Uh, so we, uh, we, you know what I mean? We want, we want authenticated proof of life. And this is the thing. Um, I, I, the only question there is, and, and at the end of the day, this is really what it comes down to. Have, has this country turned into a banana republic? Has the deep state actually captured this country fully, 100%, completely, to the extent where they can actually do this with the Supreme Court justice? Or a Supreme Court justice could be held or kept, or the condition of, of that justice be kept from the public. And have, in this Supreme Court justice, not have. Uh, to, to or not be required to show up for work or to, um, as you say, Joe, you know, proof of life, and as we've been saying, proof of life, something. It, it's 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 bigger than Ginsburg. It's bigger than the Supreme Court. It's about our republic. Yep, absolutely. And, 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 the, and that's Clinton, my question. We saw during the 2016 presidential campaign at the 9/11 memorial, Hillary Clinton walking back to her van. She was wearing those blue. She had a blue pantsuit on, and she was wearing those blue shaded. Sunglasses, which are special Prison medical glasses, glasses yeah. for people yep. who have seizures or have epilepsy and uh, other uh, impairments. That but she's fine. The, and she she literally collapsed on camera and was carried and thrown into the back of a van only for the media to come out and call you a conspiracy theorist right. and a liar if you dared to mention it. So we see the precedent of how the media, you know, especially protects their own uh, globalist, whatever you want to call them, uh, their own people. And is this happening with Ruth Bader Ginsburg? And because there's not the proof of life, there is a lot of speculation as to what's really going on with her. Everything, like I mentioned, the internet rumor about her being uh, out west in a medical-induced coma to, uh, you know, her running miles with her trainer. You, you know, th th that's fine. Just tell us. Tell right. us what's going on. Right. Explain to us what's going on. If, if, if she needs medical time for, to, to recoup or if she needs... I, I don't care. Just let the American people know. You know, we're adults. We can handle it. But see, the gatekeepers of this information, they're gatekeepers. And, and, it's what, not about it, info it, to the it, public. It's about not letting President Trump get another Supreme well, that's Court true. pick before the election. Well, obviously. I, I, so, so what are they going to do? They're going to they're keep her on ice, literally, literally, until 2020, 2021? Well, if she's in... Is, is or, or longer? Okay, we talked about this. And that's another thing. I'm glad you, we went down this further because... Uh, on Fox News, I forget which host it was, but they they were defending the fact that she is able to perform her duties and will continue to do so, making excuses for her now. But they, they then show the hell fall. up out to work. I, I'm going to tell you right now, if 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 Eric didn't show up for work for I don't know 45 days, uh, <laughs> you, think, you think we pay him? Oh, uh, oh well, yeah, if we didn't know where he was. But, but yeah, no. But show up for they, work. Fox News w went above and beyond uh, comparing her latest fall 
and surgery to remove these uh, cancerous cells from her lungs to times in the past when she got cancer, when she was, you know, 10 whatever years younger. And and basically equate, saying as much as uh, because she's already beaten cancer before, this is a non-issue now. And the the fall with the broken ribs, that's an easy heal. So she, you know, she's she's uh, she doesn't have to come in pretty much. And uh, to, any notion to, to say otherwise that she's sick or is unable to is is, is laughable. Um, but until I see her return to the bench, um, you know, we we meant we brought this up last week. If she could sit an hour and a half through a concert, what's there stopping her from showing up for half a day of hearing oral arguments at the Supreme Court? There's not much of a difference there, right? What? <laughs> Must be Monday. You, you know, I, I, I want to say this. Okay, you should have been at the office. Uh, you want me to get the recording? Today. Oh my, we couldn't play it. No, yeah, there's no way it. we could play that recording. No, nope. no. Um, I, I got to tell you, uh, one one way. Look, one way people get get at, get um, one way people harass you is they'll put your phone number out for scammers. All right. Trust me. I get trust. Ninety percent of my calls are those. But today, um, I'm not sure exactly where my my well the office uh, phone number was posted, but it was scam day and telemarketer day. It was constant, nonstop. I mean, nonstop. Okay, now I'm I'm not talking about just you know a call here and a call there. No, no, no. I'm talking about different calls, different spoof numbers. From different places. Do you ever get the ones where they don't have the whole ten digits listed? They forget no. one and they yeah. put nine in there. Yeah, that's always fun. All right. So oh. finally, well, I I, I took one. Um, I, I've got a very special method of dealing with these scammers, and I, I took care of one earlier today. Um, let me just say, I don't think this that scammer will be calling me, but uh, Eric was here. Go, you're going to say Yeah, something. let me ask a question, yeah. and I'll throw it out there to the audience. I asked Eric this before the show, and I'll ask you. We can bring on a guy who's the vice president of RoboKiller. RoboKiller is the developer of an app that kills spammer calls, and uh, his name well, is I don't care Ethan Gar, so, and we can uh, bring him on for 20 does, minutes right? this week yeah. to uh, explain to the audience and help myself, too, how to get rid? Uh, how to download the app to get rid of the uh, spammer calls? And I think Eric looked it up. It's a real cheap price. What is it, Eric? Four, three bucks, four bucks a month, something like that. Okay, I, I mean, so we it's should very do doable. That. And I know a lot of people are having problems with it because I know I'm having. I just wish I could show you my phone. Ninety over ninety percent of my calls are spoof calls. From See, when, when you don't have a cell phone, or when you don't use a cell phone, except on emergencies or when you're traveling, you know, for uh, for conferences. Um. You don't have that problem, okay? But anyway, you still have a landline, and of course, that's a problem. So uh, finally, at about 4, I don't know, it's just before 5 o'clock today, Eric was at the studio, and a uh, you know one of these, uh, I think Habib, I think Habib called. He said his name was Eric himself, okay? And uh, he asked for me personally, and uh, I said, yeah, that's me, I could tell it, you know, right away. And it was, it was about the AT&T, you know, your internet service is going to be cut off today. It's the same old thing. You press the Windows key and the uh, key next to it, and it brings up a command screen. And, and then, of course, you type something in, and it goes through, shows you all, all kinds of routine errors and all kinds of stuff. And then you go through the entire process. Ultimately, the objective on the scammers end is to take control of your, lap, or control of your screen through a program that, that they get you to download, 
of course we know all this. And then, of course, they I mean, they um, uh, say, oh, my goodness, and it's beyond help, so you need to pay $300 or five, whatever it might be, whatever the figure might be. And you can look up online. So uh, we figured the longer that we could take this, this Habib from Bangladesh, uh, and I'm serious about the location. Uh, we have ways to track calls that other places don't. And um, uh, so the <laughs> longer we can keep him on the line, the, the more people we could save from scamming or at least, you know, save that day, today. Oh, boy. Eric just uh, – Eric had him going. Eric had him going. I, uh, some of this stuff real I never marketers heard. I because, never heard. Uh, let me tell you this, that I heard a telemarketer call somebody I know – and started using very vulgar language, saying things that if so, when you're a telemarketer, you yeah. read from a script, right? And you have people who listen. But these aren't telemarketers; these, these are scammers. But oh, go ahead. Yeah, but you're in a call center, so you hear people talking in the background, and you hear all that with these people. But uh, when they start swearing at you and saying perverted things to you, you know they're not a legitimate operation. Uh, well, yeah, this guy, this guy's gonna have sex with our grandmother to our daughter. Yeah, the stuff like that. That's exactly. And everyone in between. I, I heard my first one of those a few months ago, and I was pretty surprised. But then I thought about it. I'm like, well, you know, they're obviously not any kind of legitimate company. They're out looking to just scam people. So why would they have standards? Why would they have rules? If you did, if you did that in a legitimate call center, if you say you worked at a telemarketing company. <laughs> And the manager would have hung up your phone because there's certain keywords that attract the attention of the uh, management. Really? What are they? Uh, can I say them here? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, seriously. They, they, the, your phone would be cut off if you were that telemarketer. Even if you had a freak out and you, were, you know, started to yell, your phone would be cut off. So sure, sure. You know these people are... Um, well, I, I, look, I don't know what Eric anyway. said, but, but uh, I mean, I, some of the uh, apps that he used... But but anyway, this guy threatened to uh, have sex with uh, his grandmother and his wife and his mother and his sister and his younger yeah child anyway and, in the most hideous way. So, um, and of course, I, the reason I say this, folks, look, don't fall for the scams are going around, and this is a this is seriously this is one way uh, that people do uh, people have okay we're we're going to cause all kinds of problems for. Hagman, we're, we're gonna, so they'll put your number out on the dark web, and or put your number out somewhere, and, and and pretty soon you just get it's just you have to unplug your phone or turn it off or whatever you might do, and then you get seventy five, eighty calls in the course of an eight hour period, um, and that's not an exaggeration. So the, these are the kinds of asymmetrical attacks, of course, that we're we're taking more incoming. We just decided to have a little bit of fun, or Eric did with the last. Uh, with the last one before they uh, got frustrated and um, Eric might have turned their box into a uh, paperweight on their desk because, you know, that's just the way it happens. And uh, you can do that if you know what you're doing. All right. And it just happens to be, by the way, it just happens to be some um, next to some, uh, in my personal opinion, fake PhD doctor who uh, uh, lives in the uh, uh, southeast that has an issue with uh, both Jones and myself and it's just it's just a, a, a despicable human being, and um, it's interesting the emails I've been getting uh, as well from this uh, fake, in my view, fake PhD. Uh, uh, what, what a what a what a despicable human being! But see, again, this is the war we're fighting. They will hit you on all fronts, and that's I just just letting you know that it's not going to be pretty when you get out there and you start fighting. 
it, it's going to be ugly and more ugly and more ugly. Yeah, and, and we don't have, see the thing is like Fox and other people. They, they got people like you know they got they got people. We don't have people. They got people. We we don't have people. No, for every on-air personality, they probably have twenty people that work behind the scenes. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. <clears throat> anyway, I wanted to talk about this before we run out of the segment because we are guest heavy tonight. Uh, Reagan babe, babe Megan Barth will be joining us at seven thirty. Brandon House will be with us at eight o'clock, and then Peter Chowka will be taking us out at nine. Uh, but this is another story I've been following since it happened, and I believe that very the very moment we I read about it and was speaking to the audience about this. I called it a, a fake. It sounded like a hoax to me. The uh, Empire star, Jesse Smollett, his story continues to unravel. And there's articles from the New York Post now where a neighbor cast doubt on his story and PJ Media has a piece up. And I believe, if I had to guess, I understand now what ha- – I think I understand what happened but this is the guy who's a, a star on the show Empire, which apparently airs on Fox. Um, he's a homosexual, and he was in Chicago. Uh, apparently, he says, you know, just randomly going to get a sandwich, but I think he was up to some kind of uh, meetup thing. I don't know. That's all speculation. That's just my opinion. But anyway, none dare call it a hoax. The Jesse Smollett saga continues. That's the article on PJ Media. The bizarre case continues to unfold with the police still investigating uh, what, what Smollett insists was a hate crime. <clears throat> he tells the story of walking down the street in sub-zero temperatures, being attacked by two men wearing MAGA hats, screaming racial homophobic slurs at him, pouring bleach on him and tying a noose around his neck. Ne- neck. Was this a hate crime? Maybe it was, then maybe he wasn't attacked at all. The incident occurred in Chicago, a city torn by racial strife and massive distress of police. John Ziegler of Mediate writes how the investigation is unfolding. Among other things, police have made it very clear they have not yet found any proof of an attack, despite having almost all of his movements on surveillance video. They have disclosed that Smollett would not give over his cell phone to verify the timeline of events, then even published photos of persons of interest they had to know were going to be universally mocked for being obviously irrelevant. In my view, none of these important revelations would have been made public in the way that they were unless there was extreme suspicion within the police force that Smollett's story was not fully accurate. By extension, media figures would not be told by their police sources, as I have been told, is currently happening both routinely and with vigor. The authorities are acting on the assumption that they will never find any evidence to fully substantiate Smollett's story. This just isn't happening via idle speculation either. The police are doing so with great specificity, even including an alternate theory for what really happened. Current attempts to find the origin of the rope found around his neck long after the event was over are believed to be the most likely game-changer if there ever was one in the case. In truth, the Chicago police are terrified of even hinting that they doubt Smollett's story. There is no major city in the U.S. where cops are more distrusted by blacks than Chicago. The police risk a riot if they let it be known they think Smollett is trying to hoax them. And it goes on from there. But look at where we had come, and look at what the mainstream media reported and the way that they reported this without having all the facts, just basing it on this man's word of what he said happened to him and come to find out the two men on the surveillance video, from what I understand, were homeless people who never even were on the same side of the street as the guy. And as the article said, they have pieced together pretty much all of his movements via surveillance footage. And there has been not only not an attack, not anybody even 
resembling who or what he said happened to him. Nothing of the sort. In fact, it's, it's, it seems like the police, as they say here, are afraid. They, they've come to the conclusion that he made this up or that something else happened that was unrelated to uh, MAGA or President Trump supporters or anything political whatsoever. And they're afraid to say so. Now, if this is the case, then we have a big problem where a person who files a false police report is not, after being found not to be telling the truth, the police can't even come out and say it because of his status, whether it's uh, uh, African-American or homosexual or whatever the reason is, then there's a big problem here. And I guarantee if I, if I called in, if I, if I filed a police report, that was ended up being provenly made up out of whole cloth. Do you think I'd be charged? Yep. Do you think you'd be charged? Yep. Exactly. Well, this reminds me of a look. Um, I, 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 this reminds me of, of a very similar case. I took a forensic course with a guy by the name of O.C. Smith. He was a coroner for Shelby County, Tennessee, out of Memphis. I don't know how many people remember me telling this story, but I took a again. I took a um, uh, I took a forensic course with him, and uh, actually we sat side—I don't want to say side by side, but very close to one another in this forensic course. It lasted a, about a week. Um, it, was, it was eight hours a day plus uh, laboratory work, and um, it was about a year after I attended this. Now, now OC, OC, big, huge guy. I mean, a huge guy. When I say huge, I mean. Built like he could rip your head off, you know. I mean, trust me, this you wouldn't want to tangle with this guy. But he was a former coroner of Memphis. Okay, <clears throat> there was a there was a wreck. Uh, I'm not going to get into the story because I don't want to violate his any confidences. I don't want to necessarily uh, redredge dredge things back up. But there was a wreck that involved a a woman who was furnishing driver's licenses for illegals all right and uh, anyway there was some pressure applied on the coroner in this case he wouldn't he would not play ball with the bad people so it was found one night in the hallway of his of the um of the coroner's office wrapped up in barbed wire barbed wire Wrapped up in barbed wire from head to toe with a bomb strapped to his da- uh, you, chest. Yeah, I remember you telling me this story. I think you've told the audience the story. Yeah, I, I know, I know. Okay, so consider this. Here, here's a guy wrapped up head to toe, barbed wire. And, and I'm not going to mention, there's other things too, along with a, a bomb strapped to his chest. Lo and behold, the uh, Attorney General of the United States, Gonzalez, uh, I believe it was at the time, um, among with the, among the FBI, uh, ATF. Now, get, now understand, here's a guy that that wanted to push forward for um, change uh, the the cause of death of someone who was involved in a high profile investigation. You know those suspicious deaths that you hear about. You know, like Michael Hastings and people like that. You wonder why these corners rule the way they do. Hmm. Well, I know this guy. I know him. I mean, I don't know know him, but I know him enough, that, and I respect him. And they find him wrapped in barbed wire with a bomb strapped to his chest. And the ATF says, you know what? You know who did this? He did it. That's right. He did it to himself. 
Why? What's the point? We, we, uh, what? He did it for attention. Trust me, he didn't need attention. So they actually arrested him. They actually arrested him. And they actually put him on trial in Shelby County. What was the verdict? Hung jury. Interesting. But you know what? Oh, some of the people that were involved in his, the, his uh, prosecution, uh, that's all I'm going to say, are familiar names today and also in trouble. Speaking of uh, there you go. juries, the El Chapo jury has hey, been hey, out wait, for wait, over wait a, second. a week. By the way, uh, you can see a picture. Okay. Uh, you, uh, in fact, Eric, I, I don't know if I should do this. Probably not. If you're asking yourself that, you probably um, shouldn't. No, go, uh, you know what? I'm going to do this because, um, no, you folks, you need to see this. I'm going to send this to Eric. I, want, I really want you to put this on the screen, okay? I want people to see this, and I want you to tell me. I want you to tell me, folks. Um, I'm going to send it to show prep, all right? Yep. All right, I want you to tell me that this guy did this to himself. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, no, I'm not sorry. I'm not anyway, sorry. so while that's going to Eric, uh, El Chapo, the uh, jury, he, this is a Sinaloa uh, drug cartel, head of the Sinaloa drug cartel, who had escaped multiple, multiple incarceration attempts in Mexico and finally caught by uh, the United States, brought to trial here in New York City. And the jury has been taking eight days, nine days now, um, which... The long, they always say the longer the jury deliberation, the more Don't, don't even try there. Don't even go there. Look, I'm going to tell you right okay. now, you it's cannot read. There's Unless no there's way so you can read charges. juries. Okay, there's OC. There's a guy that, that I sat for, my God, I don't know, probably in total 60, 80 hours. Did you with. keep that eye? Yeah. There he is. Um, he did that to himself. Of course, that, that's after he was cut out of the rest of it. Hmm. I need to see the picture again. It's not impossible, but... Okay. Why? That's the question. Why? When we come back, Megan Barth, Reagan Babe, will be joining us. Don't go anywhere.
Exposing the New World Order, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report on the Global Star Radio Network. Stand by. Doug and Joe will be back shortly. And this is the Hagman Report for today. It's the 11th day of February 2019. It's Time is just going like crazy, isn't it, folks? I mean, it's almost surreal. Uh, yeah, I want the 70s back. It, was, it seemed to be a lot easier back in the, uh, in the 70s. And I'd even take a, oh, I don't know, a month of Jimmy Carter. <laughs> I don't know at this point. Just because, right? Um, no, no, I okay. I'll wash my mouth out. Uh, certainly, I take a, a month of Reagan, uh, a term of Reagan, and that's my that's my personal opinion, and I'm sticking to it. And don't send me, you know what? Don't send me emails. Don't do that. Uh, I'm not going to read them anyway. If if they're you know, saying, well, you, you're you know you're an idiot, but one of the people we have on, Reagan babe, Megan Barth. I got to tell you, this 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 woman is. Uh, she goes great guns, and she's one of the finer, finest people I know with respect to ferreting out the truth and t- telling the truth. And her Twitter feed is at uh, uh, Reagan Babe. Make sure you spell it correctly, R-E-A-G-A-N, Babe. And you know what? If we don't get 43 more followers by the end of tonight, I'm going to be really upset. Uh, let's get over the 5,000 mark. And the reason I say that is because the, the shadow banning, the uh, subject banning, and the, the all the banning that goes on, it's just, it's it's not fair. It's uh, at Reagan Babe, R-E-A-G-A-N. So at least 43 people out there on their phones follow, press the follow button on Twitter. And if you've already followed, make sure you were taken off from her Twitter feed. Yeah, that's right. I said it. And she's got some pretty interesting uh, recent tweets. Uh, of late, uh, so having nothing said, uh, that I found. Okay, all right, thank you. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, um, it, it just it cracks me up. Some of the tweets that, that I saw, it just cracks me up. So we have her with us, and uh, to talk about a number of things, uh, Megan Barth, Reagan Babe, also known as Reagan Babe, Babe, and her website, of course, is ReaganBabe.com. Or Megan, thanks for coming back. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Always good to be with you guys. It's good to be with you, too. I figured maybe you thought nah, after last time, nah, I'm not going to come back. Uh, but we're going to we're going to get we're going to we're going to we're going to get the uh, the feed up to what? Uh, Five thousand. So we're going to get we're going to take care of it this time. I get close. And like I said, then I get I lose Twitter followers overnight, it seems. And I keep getting pushed back down. I know. But that's OK. You know, I, I 
I'm not a huge fan of social media. I call it a necessary evil. <laughs> I, I, I get that. I understand that. Um, it's just it's it's crazy the way that works. But you know, the censorship is out there that they want to censor all of us. Um, where, where do you want to start tonight? Well, anything you oh. want to talk about? Anything that's on your heart, on your mind? I mean, I know that that we've got kind of a not a script, but kind of a you know some talking points. But where do you? What's on your heart and your mind? Uh, as, as you see, we see President Trump going out to the border. Tonight, there's going to be a press conference at, what, at 9 Eastern. Um, you want to start there? Sure, yeah. That's actually where I was going to start because I do really think that illegal immigration is going to be the number one issue as we head into the 2020 elections. And this is the reason why the Democrats keep conflating legal immigration with illegal immigration, putting it into one pile in order for them then to call us racists and anti-immigrants uh, and xenophobes, etc., whereby they keep protecting illegal immigration by ignoring illegal immigration and actually uh, using our system as a magnet to attract more illegal aliens. Uh, there was a, uh, an article today or over the weekend published that said there has been a 290% spike in illegal immigration in the first four months of our 2019 fiscal year. This is a crisis at our borders. If it wasn't a crisis, we wouldn't be detaining 25,000 illegal aliens in our detention centers and paying for their health care, their welfare, uh, and their three squares of meals a day. Uh, if the Democrats didn't believe it was a crisis, why are they asking to reduce the amount of beds and then allow 8,000 or so illegal aliens back onto our streets, uh, criminal illegal aliens? You know, we were speaking last time and we had just come off of a uh, a, a murder spree here in northern Nevada. Uh, the family of two of the victims were honored by President Trump at the State of the Union. Uh, the David family, uh, two 80-year-olds, uh, couple married for uh, decades, uh, were murdered in cold blood by an illegal alien after he had murdered two other women in northern Nevada. So in northern Nevada, illegal immigration hits us really hard. Uh, we have lost six Nevadans just this year at the hands of illegal aliens. Uh, and that's only what I know about. Uh, I'm not sure if there are other reports that I've missed, but at least six since January uh, murders or negligent homicides committed by people who should not be here. We have to remember that illegal aliens are criminals it's not a race, as the Democrats keep trying to convince the country that illegal alien is somehow a race. Yeah, that's a great point because that's how they do In portray it. An illegal alien, a That's I'm, correct. I'm sorry, so every Megan, you were cutting out there. The, the, oh, I'm sorry. Every time the Democrats bring up illegal aliens, they call us racists for not accepting illegal aliens or, into our country. Well, again, I will stress illegal alien is not a race. It's a crime. And so we have to decide in the 2020 election, are we a nation of laws or aren't we? Are we a nation of laws or are we going to continue to allow people to enter our country illegally, defy our laws once they cross the border, and then defy our municipalities' laws as well? Many of these illegal aliens steal uh, social security numbers, uh, are victims or, or victimize those with identity theft. They can get uh, you know, fake uh, IDs, et cetera, fake social security numbers at a new number of places around this state as well as others for very cheap and very cheap to come by. Yet we have Democrats that continue with their policies to attract illegal aliens by wanting to increase their aid once they get here, going back to Obama era uh, initiatives. 
as well as providing them sanctuary once they're here. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. There's two things, if I can. One, uh, and President Trump did a great job of this at the State of the Union address, stating the importance of needing legal immigrants in this country. And that's one of the areas, another area, they conflate the issue. As you said, they conflate or they, they try to tie in illegal immigration uh, with racism and, and civil rights and whatnot. They, uh, at the same time, uh, the they never make the distinction between legal and illegal immigration. They, they want to try to lump it in as one and the same, even though the, the illegal immigrants, people who are coming here illegally, are, are cutting uh, the knees off of the people who are trying to go through the process legally. And it is really infuriating because I, I don't know if you know anybody who's on the uh, on, on our side of the fence here who says no, no immigrants whatsoever. I never hear anybody say that. Everybody's always advocating for the legal immigration, for people to do it literally or legally. And this takes out a lot of the segment, what you're talking about, the crime and the, the human trafficking and the drugs. If people are serious enough to go through the process, to, to fill out the paperwork, to go through the citizenship test, it usually means that they're uh, seeking a better life and they and they want you know to do better for themselves. The illegal immigration speaks to people who want you know freebies and uh, you know access and opportunity to commit crimes and other things. Uh, maybe some of them do want a better life, but there are ways to go about doing it. But the media never makes these distinctions. Well, the media never makes these dist- distinctions because they work on behalf of the Democrats. They take the Democrats' smear and then they merchandise it and they figure if they publish it in a tweet or a headline or in an article that it must be true, right? Uh, if an illegal alien has the chutzpah, so to speak, to cross our borders illegally, he has already broken our laws. And so, again, we are allowing people to break their laws at will without any sort of repercussion whatsoever by enforcing existing law. There was a time when uh, uh, Democrats just five or six years ago were against illegal immigration. Now they seem to be all for it, uh, specifically when it comes to the pending sh- potential government shutdown uh, on the, uh, I think it's what, the 15th of this month, just in a few few days, four days. Right. Four days. So we will see what the president says in El Paso tonight. But back to my original point about the racism canard, the talking point that the Democrats love to use at every given opportunity, you have Beto O'Rourke, otherwise known as Robert Francis O'Rourke, down at the border leading a protest against the racist wall. Uh, again, uh, you know, this is just your typical smear tactic uh, political tactic of the Democrats, which is then merchandised by the mainstream media. You know, not one Democrat in Nevada came out uh, condemning or at least offers, offering condolences to the families impacted by the four or five, six murders uh, of our Nevadans here. And nor did they call for gun control when this illegal 19-year-old illegal alien from El Salvador ruthlessly uh, executed four of our Nevada neighbors. It's interesting when the Democrats want to play the racism card, but it's also equally as interesting to see when they want to play the gun control card. Very interesting indeed. Um, well, let me move right to this question. With President Trump being down at the border today, why doesn't President Trump just end all of this, at least with respect to the wall side of this discussion, declare a national emergency with respect to illegal immigration and, and get the wall done to satisfy at least the most banal um, requests of his base. Right. There are actually 31 ongoing national emergencies that have been declared. I think there's been 53 in total since the uh, law was enacted back in 1976. So he has every right and constitutional duty. His first 
duty as commander in chief is to protect us from enemies foreign and domestic. Now, I realize he is trying his best to protect us from the foreign enemies domestically, which is the uprising socialists, Marxists and Maoists, as well as anti-Semites in the Democrat Party. Uh, but our border is our security. It provides us security. It provides us our sovereignty. Uh, it protects our culture, our way of life. Uh, and it also protects others from taking advantage of others. As you said, we have plenty of immigrants that come here that use the ports of entry uh, and gain citizenship after working hard to obtain citizenship. Uh, these uh, illegal immigrants are given a free ride. Uh, and so I believe that he could uh, constitutionally declare a national state of emergency. I think he should. However, if he does not, he can easily also uh, take some money out of the defense budget, have our Army Corps of Engineers and our military build the walls uh, where they are needed. We have our military and our Army Corps of Engineers building schools, building hospitals, building walls in other countries. Uh, why can't they do the same thing here as they are providing for other countries? Amen. I, I totally agree with you on this. And we need to get something done. I saw a picture in a, in a website of um, one of the Arizona cities. I, I, I don't – was it uh, – I don't recall which Arizona city, but there was actually bar the military or the perhaps it was the Army Corps of Engineers putting up barbed wire uh, uh, near this border town or at this border town at a very uh, um, important crossing or a weak spot. And of course, the locals got together through the city council and said, "Look, we want our city, whatever it was, city managers, council." And didn't want that, but obviously they didn't reflect the will of the people. So anyway, so what do we do? I mean, so now what what should we as Americans do or what can we do? Because I'm getting really frustrated. Uh, keep electing candidates that support this president's agenda. Okay. Uh, also be very vocal. Uh, you can call the uh, your, your local representative and be very vocal and supportive. Every call, I think, represents thousands of calls. Uh, so one call can make a difference. Ten calls can make a huge amount of difference. A hundred calls makes a huge, you know, makes that much more of a difference. But I think what people need to do is just really stay active and really stay motivated and make sure that we understand exactly what the battle is here for the next 2020 election. It's not only a battle between are we a nation of laws or aren't we, but it's also a battle between socialism and capitalism. And capitalism hasn't been the only economic engine that has lifted more people out of poverty. Uh, than any other economic system, specifically socialism, as we look across uh, towards Venezuela at that failed state. And I thought that was one of the most brilliant things that Trump had done at the State of the Unionist speech, is call out the socialists in the Democrat Party and make sure that they were put on notice that we aren't going to become a socialist country. We were born free and we will remain free. And that's really the fight that we have going into 2020. And so I think what people can do, honestly, is just remain active, write letters, call, uh, take to the streets, march, protest, whatever you think you need to do. Uh, but make sure you also take that energy and make sure that you get to the polls, because this 2020 election might be much closer than the uh, 2016 election, because as we look at the midterms, we see the shenanigans that the Democrats <laughs> will pull in order to pull out very close elections for their win. 500,000 ballots found in Arizona. Yeah. Ballots found in, in uh, Broward County. Uh, we have provisional ballots all of a sudden being used. Absentee ballots. Uh, ballots here, ballots there, ballots everywhere. Uh, and so yeah. I, I think that uh, the 2018 midterms was simply a dress rehearsal for what they'll try to pull in 2020. 
And we have you, to protect our we have to protect ourselves. Megan uh, Barth, Reagan Babe, tune in daily. By the way, KKFT ninety nine point one FM. Go to reaganbabe.com. Listen live there. If they can't see the light, make them feel the heat. And of course, past episodes archived right there. Look on the screen. Um, go. I cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah, Megan, you mentioned uh, <clears throat> before we get into the the twenty twenty Democratic field of contenders and who poses the biggest threat running right now or uh, saying they're going to run right now against President. Trump, you mentioned the issue, one of the big issues of 2020 is going to be capitalism versus socialism. And the Wall Street Journal ran a piece titled, Who's Afraid of Socialism? We've seen Morning uh, Joe and other CNN shows, as well as MSNBC shows, uh, bring on Ocasio-Cortez and others, are even arguing that you know show, socialism is, is basically the new norm and this is the direction that the country is going in. Are the Democrats just so much so far out of ideas and uh, so disenfranchised the the middle America and, and most of the I'd say center even left of center voters that now they have to go full blown into uh, we're going to adopt socialist policies kind of like Ocasio Cortez in this Green New Deal that she's proposing where we rebuild every single building in the United States and we eliminate all air and, and car tra- transportation and in place of something else is this where we're headed as a country is or is this just where the extreme democratic party's headed and and it will eventually end well i think that's a really good question because when you pull millennials or generation z which is the generation i think right before millennials uh they tend to think socialism is great but they haven't really been exposed to the real world nor have they ever been exposed to socialism thank god and it's because they have it because of my grandfathers and my grandmothers and others that fought much longer before I did uh, to save this country from the totalitarian grips of socialism. Uh, you know, if, if we were such a, uh, I guess, institutionally racist country, right, as the Democrats like to call us, then why are people of color flocking to our shores? Why are they risking their lives to come to an institutionally racist country? Yeah. Well, the only reason they are flocking to our country is because of our capitalist system, the one that provides the benefits of the American dream, that it doesn't matter what class or where you're born or what family you're born into, you have an equal footing to rise because of the free market system. If you're willing to work hard uh, and make money, then you can rise uh, through, the, uh, through the economic or at least climb the economic ladder. It also would benefit immigrants to learn English, and, when, and those that become citizens do. And why do they learn English? It's because English is the international ba- uh, language of business, And knowing the international language of business also will help you climb the economic ladder. Uh, But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez should not be underestimated. She has a very powerful platform. She was only elected by 17,000 people. But again, she has been merchandised uh, by the press in order to mainstream her radical views. And so as the Democrat Party is having an identity crisis, really, on who can be more commie and who can be more socialist, uh, they are leaving, leaving a large swath in the middle of people that will feel abandoned by these radical ideas, that don't identify with these radical ideas. And I think that's where the sweet spot is. It's always kind of in the middle anyway. How many independents can you draw over to the Republican Party? How many women can you draw over to the Republican Party? How many Hispanic Americans? And when you look at Trump's uh, latest, uh, I think it's Rasmussen poll numbers, he's polling at 52 percent. And when you look at the polling amongst Hispanics, he climbed 19% to 50%. So obviously the racism charges and the anti-immigrant charges uh, and that the wall is a racist uh, or, or a racist uh, wall it is not sticking with Hispanics or uh, 52% of the likely voters in this country. So again, yeah. the Democrats can go as far left as they want. 
I hope they keep parading Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, because I think that will just solidify Trump's chances to win in 2020. And we were at, just real quick, we were at the walk away uh, movement with Brandon Straka in uh, D.C. I don't know when it was, a few months October ago. October 17th. Yeah, last October. And it was amazing the number of Democrats who um, said, no, we're not going to accept socialism and actually uh, change parties or were in the process of changing parties and, and making it very vocal. So it's even the. But, but you said don't don't uh, discount Ocasio Cortez. Certainly, Kamala Harris and and uh, Robert Francis O'Rourke. All of these are pretty dangerous people out there. I, I guess, aren't they? <laughs> well, especially when you have seventy Democrats that signed on to the Green New Deal or the Green Dream or whatever they want to call it. Uh, it's basically a green nightmare. Uh, it's interesting that envy is is color. Uh, the color of green uh, represents envy, and that's exactly exactly what socialism is. Uh, but nonetheless, it's just a massive redistribution of wealth, a confiscation of wealth, and also a, confisca- a confiscation of cows. I'm really curious how they're going to round up all these farting cattle and what they're going to do with them. Uh, I was asking a bunch of farmers up in northern Nevada last week, are you going to give up your cows? And they basically said over my dead body. Uh, so we, we will see uh, how they plan on instituting this idea but you do have 70 Democrats that have signed on and all of the contenders that have thrown their hats or their headdresses like Elizabeth Warren into the presidential field uh, have signed on to this deal as well. So it's, again, socialism is being mainstreamed within the Democrat Party. And then, of course, like I said, merchandise by the press to not make it seem so bad as Venezuela. Megan, let me ask you this. Out of the, the 2020, uh, out of the contenders who have thrown their hat in the ring for the 2020 race in or the Democratic addresses. Party... And let's include the CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, because I think it's interesting what they're doing to him. Anybody stick out as a front runner uh, or anybody stick out in your mind as having the better chance of winning against President Trump? Uh, Well, you know, I I was just reading today. I thought perhaps Biden might get in the race, but many of the Democrat strategists know-it-alls are saying that he doesn't represent the new Democrat Party. He's simply just an old white guy. Uh, And then we can't forget that Tom Perez, and those are their words, not mine. Uh, And then we can't forget Tom Perez, who's the leader of the Democrat Party, who said, if you're a pro-life Democrat, get the hell out of the party. You have no right to be here. Okay. Uh, And so uh, the the further they isolate themselves from the middle, uh, they are going to align with the most radical, I believe. Um, Elizabeth Warren, radical socialist. She basically, of course, wants to confiscate wealth and get rich people out of Washington. But of course, that does not mean herself. Uh, she's worth tens of millions of dollars, uh, but she won't be touched, and neither will her socialist pal Bernie Sanders, who owns three houses. Uh, then I think it's Kamala Harris, really. I, I think that perhaps I keep hearing it's going to be the year of the woman, the year of the woman. Uh, so I believe that the Democrats may run a woman again. I don't think it's going to be Hillary. I don't even know if we've really seen the contender show their face yet, but out of what we've seen so far, uh, I think Kamala Harris might have maybe the best shot. Uh, She's a pretty skilled orator. However, she does have a lot of dirty laundry. And so hopefully uh, (laughs) the, hopefully the, I've written about it. Uh, Hopefully the opposition research team is paying attention and looking into her past because she, out of many of those that I've witnessed come forward to throw their hat in the ring, used the arm of the state government while she was AG of California as a weapon against her political enemies, much like Barack Obama did. So she weaponized the AG's office and she went after those that exposed Planned Parenthood for selling baby parts instead of 
investigating Planned Parenthood for selling baby parts. She investigated the investigators uh, and caused them a lot of economic and monetary strife. And then she also tried to force Americans for Prosperity to divulge their private donor list and make that list public. Geez, I wonder if that was going to be her enemy list and perhaps use the IRS to target those donors. So this is the type of progressive, radical, totalitarian type of tactics that Kamala Harris has employed when she was AG, and those are just a couple of them. Uh, but then, of course, we can't forget her affair with Willie Brown. And so I really wonder how she's a champion of women when she was sleeping her way up the t- uh, to the top with a married man. Wow. Gee. Um, hey, Oppo research people. Uh, Reagan Babe, Babe, yeah, I'm sorry, ReaganBabe.com at ReaganBabe, of course, on Twitter. But uh, pay attention, pay attention here, Kamala and, Harris. The uh, uh, was it Willie Brown who had the affair with Kamala yeah, Harris? Yeah, that's what she, yeah, she said. She, he, you know, she referenced the op-eds that he was writing about her, and they're pretty interesting if you if you give him a read. And uh, she signed on to this. She she's championed this um, global warming, this new green deal initiative yep. too, as well, throwing herself really into the. I, I think that that's a big mistake that she made. Um, I don't know. Is the uh, Howard Schultz? That's what I wanted to ask you. Was was he seemed to be running a more moderate to to center um, presidential campaign or wanting to, and he was just shunned by the Democratic Party because he's running as a, wanting to run as a third party contender. Why did he not run as a Democrat? Do we know that? Well, I think it's from his own words that he believes that the Democrat Party has really become a party of socialists and a party of radical ideas like Medicare for all. Uh, He sees how much spending would be required to eliminate the private health care insurance market. Uh, He is not a champion of that. He's a business owner. He understands what it takes to grow a business and understands the risks. Uh, But then he also did not appreciate being demonized for his wealth or for being a billionaire. He thought, you know, that was a good thing. I mean, if we all have dreams and, and aspirations, of, of, and some of us want to make more money than others. And I always say, go for it. You know, as much money as you want to make, it's all there for you to make. Um, so he didn't appreciate the demonization, nor did he appreciate the economic policies that he saw as socialist. And he didn't appreciate the spending that he's seen by both parties. And I honestly can't blame him. He's a direct threat to the Democrat Party. And that's why the Democrat Party doesn't like him, because he might be the Ross Perot, but he might hand the Republican the victory this time instead of the Democrats. Uh, and so he might be the spoiler and the Democrats are going to need every single vote mm-hmm. they can find or manufacture in order to win this next election. If this economy keeps humming along as it is, Donald Trump will sweep the Rust Belt again because socialism is great in theory, but it's not great in practice. And those that have worked hard for a living believe that they've earned their money. They don't believe that it should be confiscated by the few know-it-alls in Washington, D.C. that are telling them exactly how they're going to spend their money better than they can. Wow. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, one minute left. Yeah, one minute left. And Anything we yours. didn't cover uh, that you want to make sure we get into? I know we got the caravan issue uh, and Mexico's position on that. They're busing people up out of their from their southern border up to the northern border. The national emergency. Do you think Trump's going to declare a national emergency at the border? I know we, we, we touched, touched on, on that, that but, but I mean, is that, is that the way it's going to go? But, but you know what? Where do you want to go in a minute? Well, I think that in the last minute, I would just kind of like emphasize what Trump did in the State of the Union speech as far as what the Democrat platform is. And this is really their, you know, the three legs to the stool that they're sitting on for 2020. And that's open borders, uh, which is a fuel for illegal immigration, human trafficking and sex trafficking. It also equates to the abuse uh, and exploitation of children and women. The Democrats couldn't stand for the women that were saved by ICE from these human traffickers or the children. Let's not forget that. 
It's also the party of abortion on demand, late-term abortion, post-term, uh, post-term birth abortion. Uh, and a majority of people don't support abortion after the first trimester. And again, the Democrats couldn't stand for life. They chose to sit on their hands. They high-fived each other. Uh, they certainly high-fived uh, those uh, that were saved. And all, uh, so it's open borders, uh, abortion on demand, and what is the third one? Oh, uh, it is uh, Medicaid for all or yeah. socialism, in other words. That's right. Reagan Babe wow. is the guest. Thank you so much, Megan, for joining us. We're out of time. <clears throat> we hope to have you back Thanks. on soon, though. You have a good night. Keep it up. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Exposing the New World Order, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report on the Global Star Radio Network. Stand by. Doug and Joe will be back shortly. And welcome back to the Hagman Report for this, the 11th day of February 2019. I just, again, you know, just uh, to say it, to hear the words come out of your mouth. Reagan, babe, what a fantastic 
gracious guest and definitely go to reaganbabe.com and follow her on Twitter. Now we have coming up with us Brandon House, of course, Worldview Weekend. He's a good friend of the program and he's just does awesome work, awesome work. Uh, documentaries, by the way. How many people, show of hands, how many people take advantage of this special documentary? Uh, Worldview Weekend, Brandon House. Uh, show of hands, come on, come on. Uh, there's a few. Yeah, studio audience. It would be nice if we did have a studio audience, but we don't. I want to thank our sponsors, and I want to thank you, the people who support our program, but uh, in particular the sponsors who step up and uh, support our program. I want to welcome to the litany of sponsors, Postmates. Folks, have you heard about this? Postmates. Oh, man. I, I, I Look, I have a friend who lives in an area of coverage for Postmates. I'll tell you about Postmates. Just give me a second here. And uses them all the time. Uses Postmates all of the time and cannot speak highly enough. I just wish they were here where we are, both the studio and the house. But don't get there, especially if you support them. Let me tell you about this, because other than your absolute best friends, let me ask you a question. Who could you ask to bring you, for example, red wine at 4 o'clock in the afternoon or 5 o'clock in the afternoon or for dinner, sushi at 9, and a breakfast burrito, we'll say at 8 o'clock? Postmates. This is a great company. Postmates is your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever you can think of delivery service all year round. There's no more trips to the store. You don't have to leave your house. You don't even have to know where the store is. Postmates will deliver anything to you. All you have to do is download the app for iOS or Android for free, browse local restaurants and businesses, and track your delivery. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, Postmates will bring you what you want within the hour. This is a fantastic service, folks. Anything you're craving, Postmates can deliver. They're the largest on-demand network in the known universe with more than 25,000 partner merchants and growing. I can't wait. For a limited time, folks, this is where you come in. And this is where, this is a deal we struck. And what a fantastic deal. For a limited time, Postmates is giving to you $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app right now and use code HAGMAN. That's H-A-G-M-A-N-N. That's code HAGMAN for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, download Postmates and save with the code Hagman, H-A-G-M-A-N-N. Welcome aboard. All right. Brandon House. Wow. Oh, we're waiting for Brandon? Just what did text. you do? Nothing. What did you do? Nothing at uh, all. But seriously, he has done a lot with respect to exposing the, uh, and this is important, the red-green axis, yeah. especially the red-green axis. Let, let's talk about this yeah, story real quick because uh, um, there's an, an article up on the website now, com. Vatican officially releases Chrysalom logo for Pope Francis' upcoming Servant of Hope tour to the Muslim nation of Morocco. Uh, for those of you who also missed it, there was a, I'm not sure exactly what happened at the Vatican, if there was an Islamic... Um, Mass held there. I, I I don't know, but the there were imams and and whatnot brought into the Vatican, right? And they right. you know kissed each other on the cheek and sat down and had quote unquote 
interfaith dialogue. They smack themselves but, on the head, uh, you know, on the floor. The Vatican released a logo for Pope Francis' apost- uh, apostolic journey to Morocco, whose apostolic. Theme, you got go to go to the theme Catholic, Catholic schools. Catholic schools. <laughs> Thir- servant of hope is the theme of this uh, Pope's visit to Morocco, March thirty first. So. Catholics have gotten mad, it says in this article, over the years of how the Vatican is pushing the hybrid bastard religion of Chrislam, which yep. is to say merging of the apostate Christianity with the religion of Ishmael, who is the father of Islam. Just this week, the Vatican rolled out a new logo for Pope Francis' upcoming visit to the Muslim nation of Morocco. And what is the design? Chrislam. Now, um, I'm going to have to find a better picture for you, Eric, to put up on the screen. I'm sure you won't be able to find it by doing a search of Chrislam, but we'll, well find you know it. either way. There is this <laughs> it's continuing, amazing, isn't it, how that works? There's this continuing push to erase not only uh, national boundaries through the eradication of borders and border security, but also religious boundaries through the eradication of uh, what makes somebody a Christian or what makes somebody a Muslim, and they are trying to merge this interfaith uh, uh, movement into a one world religion. You have the one, uh, you have the world religion of churches council that, um, and I didn't say that properly, the, the name of the organization. Uh, actually, I found an old, uh, thumb drive from maybe a, two or three computers ago and I plugged it into my Apple and I, uh, downloaded all the PDFs and research that I had on the thumb drive and in it, there was a special file and it was, uh, uh the one world religion. And so I started going through some of the, the document. I have it saved under New Age, and under there is the One World Religion. And I started going through some of the, the documents, uh, and there is a constitution that was set up by the World Council of Churches on how to uh, basically bring all the religions under a one uh, unified banner. Now, there's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ, not through Muhammad, not through Buddha, not through Gandhi, not through... Go on. Well, no, anyway, I mean, this whole... um, And we've been talking about this for years. This is one of the things, one of the areas where, I don't want to say we have expertise, but we have a lot of... I have a lot of knowledge on this subject, is that this one world religious movement stems from the globalist banking movement and the United Nations uh, movement. And it is uh, being done for a number of reasons, but they need everybody not only on a one world political ideology, but also a one world religious system because the one world political ideology will not go smoothly unless there is only one faith uh, in which people follow. And none of it has anything to do with actual Christianity. Even the U.S. Army's and uh, uh, the internment and resettlement operations document, I think it's FM uh, 03.13, talks about how actual Christianity in the Bible will not allow to be preached in these internment and resettlement camps because it might be too extreme for some of the, uh, uh, I guess you could say, more apathetic people. Um, and it will give rise to to uh, uh, you know pushback and rebellion and whatnot. So only certain parts of the Bible are only going are going to be able to be taught uh, a certain way. So the language is very vague and it changes things. And this is all in the same movement to unify uh, under a one world religious system that is not Christianity and. Anything other than that, you know, it, it is what it is. It's evil. It's it's a religion of Satan. And that's what they've been doing, blurring the lines of uh, what's real and what's not real, what's right and what's not right. Look at the pastor in California who got in trouble for saying uh, 
you know, Bruce Jenner is a man, uh, and, and the God, Jesus's words are the gospel. Well, let, let, let me None say, of that ever Bruce changes. Jenner is a guy biologically. And End of story. Bible. Well, the guy lost uh, his pastor's pastoral seat oh. for saying the gospel never changes and Bruce Jenner is a man. Facts are facts. Some things don't change. Well, Something uh, along those lines. It's maybe you should have said Caitlyn Jenner is a guy. I don't and, know. And this is what happens yeah. when emotion trumps uh, facts and, and logic and reason. But he was voted out, lost his position as pastor, not only because he had to step down, but the elders in the congregation said, if you don't step down, yeah, you're not going to have a church left to pastor. So this is how crazy the world crap. has gotten. And that's why Brandon this is how crazy is the Pope has gotten. And this Pope has been more of a socialist, leftist Pope than any other Pope I've seen uh, in history in my lifetime. But with that, let's bring on Mr. Brandon House. Hey, guys. How you doing tonight? We're doing great. Uh, how about let me, you? Let me check. We're hanging in there. Yeah. It looks like, it looks like I'm doing all right. Uh, I just had to check things out. But I'm, I'm okay. Okay, good. So, so what's up? What's up? What's up? <laughs> well, you know, here's the book I wrote. Some of the books I've written are behind me in my in my shelf here. These are the various books I've written over the years. You know, when I grow up, I want to be just like you because um, you, you, no. I mean, how many books have you written? Like, how many? Uh, Fourteen. Fourteen. Working on fifteen right now. <sighs> this book, this book I wrote, and it came out in nineteen. 93 is yeah 1993 okay and in this book i have a whole chapter called parents as teachers and the whole premise of the book is about a program and i'm sorry to put a tie on or anything tonight um joe forgot to send me a reminder i think uh so we'll blame it on joe that I'm oh I'll take so, so we we caught you. you that's all right you look good actually in fact okay uh, thank you. i normally i'd be upstairs in my studio the whole nine yards right but um, I like uh, this look. I like this. This looks good. All right. All right. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, this is my study. But anyway, um, uh, I wrote this book in 1993, and it came out in 93, and it was my first book. And in this book, I have a whole chapter on what's called Parents as Teachers, and it's out of Missouri, Parents as Teachers program. And the goal, and you still go to their website today, Parents as Teachers, and they, and they went – all throughout the U.S. with it. And I was writing and warning about this in 93. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because you and I and many people get accused when we predict trends or talk about things that we are conspiracy theorists. Well, what I predicted in this book in 93 has been growing slowly and steady with groups like Parents as Teachers out of Missouri that will require a home visit from a government worker when you have a child. And now what we see in the news in the last month, Washington State and Oregon legislation for a universal home visit for people that have a baby, a child. And there you go, nanny state. We're going to come in the home and monitor your family and check out what you're doing and see if you're a qualified parent. And I warned that this would happen in this book. And the Parents and Teachers Program, by the way, was readily endorsed by many Republicans as well as Democrats. But as I warned in the chapter four of this book that I wrote in 1993, the standards for whether or not a child was at risk. Are you ready for the standards to see if your family would be at risk? Oh, do tell. Here we go. Here we go. This is what determines whether your family's at risk. Premature babies, emergency delivery, or birth trauma, a child's slow growth, poor appetite, or frequent illness, delayed development. I mean, who decides that? Uh, inability of parents to cope with inappropriate child 
behavior, including spanking as exclusive form of discipline. Uh, a parent who is ill, heavy, tired, depressed, handicapped, injured, or appears to be of low-level intelligence. Again, who decides that? Uh, overindulgence, undue spoiling on the part of the parent, stress on the family, such as a parent that travels frequently, moving to a new home, a death in the family, divorce or separation, birth of a sibling, three children under the age of three, prolonged illness, loss of a job, low-level income, allergies, heavy cigarette smoking in the home, family history of hearing loss, lack of stimulation, overstimulation, predominantly inappropriate or very few toys. Now, again, who would not be at risk under the Parents as Teachers standards from that organization by that name, Parents as Teachers, out of Missouri that is the model to go global and was part of the America 2000 Goals 2000 uh, federal education program that I was warning about. Now, here we are, 2019, Oregon and Washington going to looking at universal home visits for families. Why? The government nannies, government state. But the more at-risk kids you have in a um, district, the more state money you get. The more at-risk kids in a state, well, with the right federal legislation, then the more federal money the state gets. So follow the money as well as intrusion into the family, breaking down the family, uh, deciding who's at risk based on what you're teaching your child. And yet when, we, when, when I wrote this in 93, what did people say? Oh, that'll never happen. That'll never, they'll never let that happen. It's a quarter well, century ago. You, you yeah. called it. You nailed it. And, and, and not to boast, but if you look at any of these books back here on this shelf of the 14 books I've written, a lot of the things that we have said have come tr true with pinpoint accuracy. Um, it's not that we're so smart. It's that we understand socialism and globalism, and we read the white papers of these people. We know what they want to do because we read their books. We read their white papers. It isn't that hard to find out. You just have to be willing to do the research. Brandon, where do we stand today? I mean, I, I feel like we are on this, I don't know, this ice slope. And the at the end of the uh, hill is this uh, socialistic, what they would call a utopia, what we'd call hell. And I'm not so sure that we can stop the, the slide. Uh, can we? Well, I think we can slow it down, but I don't think we can stop it. And I think, you know, when the Tea Party movement was going on, I was in full support of the Tea Party movement and all of that, what they were trying to do. But I warned people that when, when if we end up with a massive inflationary cycle, these people will not be able to buy the cardboard to make the placard signs and the Sharpies to make their placard signs to protest. I mean, look at what has happened to Venezuela with over a million percent inflation. This was at one time a very affluent nation in the sense that their oil and oil reserves, what's going on. Look at what socialism has done there. And I don't know if you saw the video clips last week of the folks from Venezuela now living in America saying to Americans, don't do this. We've been there. Don't do this. But why is it that Americans now at such a high level want the rich to be soaked? And, and who defines what is rich? And, of course, they always start out, you know, the billionaires. We're going we're gonna to soak them. Well, pretty soon it's the millionaires. And again, some folks may be shocked to find out uh, at some point in their life they actually have a net worth of a million dollars by the time they figure in their house and their retirement and, and um, other things that they have. 
With inflation, it doesn't take very long for that to occur. So when they start having a, a, a wealth tax onto them, they're going to say, but wait a minute, I'm not wealthy. And they're going to say, well, look at your net worth with your house and your retirement and, and uh, stocks and bonds and a few other hard assets you might have. And pretty soon you're like, well, I may on paper be a millionaire, but I surely don't live like it. And I'm doing good just to pay the uh, insurance and the uh, liability and the taxes on everything and the upkeep and the maintenance. And they're going to say, well, it doesn't matter. And you're going to say, well, how did we get here? Because we started allowing people to be taxed simply because they were successful. Yeah, they started with the billionaires, but then they went to the millionaires and then they went to the people who had a net worth of a million dollars. And again, you're going to find out real quick. It doesn't take long in this inflationary cycle for that to occur. If you live to be, you know, 55, 60, 65 years old, you can acquire that, particularly if you acquire a business and your business has assets. So. I was warning then with the Tea Party that people had better wake up and realize even the diehards eventually will roll over if there's massive inflation. Even the people that have been opposed to this will roll over and say, uncle, I give up because they're tired of the chaos and the crisis and the and the concern and, and they'll finally fold. And that's my concern, uh, Doug. My concern is that we're slowing this down, but my concern is the people that are going to buy into this, we never thought we're going to buy into it. We're already seeing this in the state of evangelicalism. Uh, my last book, uh, Marxianity, that you interviewed me about that came out in November of 2018, and they can find out more at marxianity.com. There are some of the people that are promoting the Gospel Coalition, social justice, working with social justice warriors. We never thought they would share the platform with them, put those kind of people in their church uh, podium or their church pulpit, invite those kind of people to their conferences. We would have never dreamed 10 years ago that some of the leading evangelical people and pastors who are propping these guys up, we never thought they would do that. We never, ever, ever dreamed some of these people would do that because everything they said was contrary to social justice and socialism. But who's propping them up? The guys we never thought. So that's a perfect example. If that would go on in the evangelical world, what's going to go on in the so-called conservative realm uh, where people will start propping up things we never thought they would because it's the fashionable thing to do. It's the way to stay out of trouble with the government, keep your nonprofit status. Uh, it's what's popular. You want to attract more, more uh, people to follow you. I don't know. Everyone has their pragmatic reason. But we saw this in another time in another place, and it was Germany. And uh, – a lot of this is due to, and by the way, I started a whole new series last night on my live Sunday night worldview class, and we set our second highest live streaming last night. Uh, we took off for the Super Bowl, and then we announced we'd be back last night with a whole new series, and we started on brainwashing. And I'm working on this whole new series on brainwashing for television that will be then turned into my 15th book. And I'm telling you why we're at this point and why we don't have more people opposing this is because there's been a massive brainwashing operation that has been carried out on the American people, and most of them don't know it. And we can talk about that tonight, and I can explain to you how it's going on and give you some examples. You, you know, we, we had a Patreon meeting last night, but I'll tell you something. I had this on my calendar, and I have it on my calendar. Is that, has it been uploaded to the Situation Room? Uh, uh, the uh, No, it'll be post-edited and put up um, uh, this week as my TV show this week. We normally don't let the Sunday night broadcast out to the general public uh, once it's aired, we let anyone watch it that wants to at live stream, uh, right. livestream.com slash WVWTV on Sunday nights. So they can watch. But then after that, we generally save it for Situation Room members. 
This is so important. We're going to post edit in HD and load it up later this week. Okay, good. Thank you, F- folks. You need to go to Worldview Weekend, um, uh, Brennan's website, which is down there in the uh, in the uh, description box. We'll, uh, WorldviewWeekend.com, and you got to watch this. I, I have not, I, and frankly, I have not seen it yet. Obviously, I didn't watch it live, but when, when this post produced, I'm going to be on this like two coats of paint and um, because this is so important I want to get into this with uh, Brandon but I also want to show you this if you don't have this Mark Sanity this is perhaps one of the most valuable books you can you can have and actually you can give to um, your family members pastors friends whoever it might be Mark Sanity tells it all this is perhaps I, I believe one of Brandon has to find this work um, in my view they're all good but holy Goodness, the, this book is absolutely great. And it's how the evangelical deep state and their useful idiots are merging Marxism and Christianity. And this is through social justice, white privilege, cultural Marxism, illegal immigration, interfaith dialogue, and more. He nails it. He nails it. Everything, when, everything you need to know is in this book. But let's move on to the to what you were talking about. Um, how do you want the to present this? The brainwashing? Yeah. How do you want to, how, is that better? I turned on a light. Is that better or is that worse? You look good either way. I'm telling you. You like it with the light on? Or you like it with the what light on? What do you think, off? Eric? Eric the tech, what do you think? It's good, it's good that way. All right. Do, do, are you okay with the light? As long as your tech is, I'm fine. Yeah, our tech's... <laughs> Eric's over there giggling, yeah. No, he's, 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 he's giving me a thumbs up, so that's good. All right. All right. Good. All right. Uh, so last night I started talking about brainwashing, and I've been studying brainwashing now for some time. I mean, actually many, many years, but m- very intensely the last several months preparing for this uh, TV series and this book. And I, I studied two important documents. One was a report and a speech. He did a book and he did a speech by William E. Mayer. And he gave this speech in 1956, and he was a psychologist with the military who was uh, tapped to study the POWs coming home from the Vietnam, excuse me, the Korean War, the, the, the Korean War. And it was one of the highest, if not the highest death rate, was the highest death rate, or what they also said, give up itis, that we'd ever seen in our American POWs. And our Pentagon couldn't figure out why. They're like, why did some of these guys just give up? Literally pull the sheets up over their head and give up. Why? And many of them also would not fight back in in that they would actually believe the propaganda that they were being fed by the communists in the Korean War as POWs. And so when they got home, they, many of them that were a part of that who survived were studied. And William E. Mayer put out a report, and you can, you can buy it on Amazon and read it. And, and I have the audio clips of him giving a speech from 1956, so I studied that. And I read his speech, and it wasn't blocked into sections or bullet points or an outline. There was none of that. It was just a speech. And so what I did off to the margins, and I actually did this on Christmas Eve with my yellow lab laying at my feet and the fire going, I was sitting on Christmas Eve reading this report and marking off onto the side, what is it he's really saying? In, in one bullet point, what is he saying? And I kept just writing down what he was saying. And then I went and I read a report by a guy named Edward Hunter. Edward Hunter testified before the Committee on Un-American Activities in 1958, I think it was off the top of my head. And he had been a journalist, and in World War II, I think he had also been a specialist in propaganda and had worked for the uh, Office of uh, so- Special Services, which is the forerunner to the CIA. And he wrote many books and testified also before Congress 
on the brainwashing of the Chinese people in the Chinese Communist Revolution of 1949. So both of these men from America, both with a military background, studied two different groups that were brainwashed by the communists. One was the POWs of the Korean War, the American POWs of the Korean War. The other were the Chinese people themselves that were brainwashed by their own government and the communist revolution of China in 1949. So as I read both of these reports, I would make notes off to the side, make margins off to the side. What is it they're saying in simple terms? Because I like outlines. I like bullet points. And what I was able to do combined with my research and the other 14, you know, the 14 books I've written over this many years to know how it is they brainwash people or seek to change their worldview. Because brainwashing to many people sounds like something, you know, it may be hard to understand. It's kind of um, uh, uh, mysterious, kind of hard to wrap your arms around. But really it isn't. Brainwashing by its very definition, whether we're talking about Webster's Dictionary or the Psychological Dictionary, brainwashing has the same definition for all of them. It is simply trying to change someone's attitudes and beliefs, and it involves using manipulation and coercion and oftentimes doing it against their will. But certainly coercion and manipulation and subterfuge to change their worldview or their values or their beliefs. That's all it really is. And people would say, well, aren't you guys interested in changing people's worldview or their values or their beliefs? Yes, but we don't use lies to do it. We don't use uh, manipulation to do it. We're not trying to change them from something that is good to something that is, that is bad. Uh, where if anything, we're trying to move them away from what is bad and harmful for them to what is good for them. And yet brainwashing is actually the opposite. It's about lying to them, manipulating them, deceiving them, and sometimes it can be it can be about using torture and drugs. But with our POWs in the Korean War, for the vast majority of them, there was no drugs and no hypnosis. And when you study what was done also to the Chinese people during the 1949 Communist Chinese Revolution, what I came up with was a list. And the American people have been have been the subjects of a systematic brainwashing operation that most of them don't recognize, and that's key. The POWs coming back from the Korean War said, if we had only known, if we had only known, we could have resisted, but we didn't know. And it was after that that the military came up with the code of conduct, the military code of conduct. That came up after the Korean War that says, if you are taken prisoner of war, if you are captured, this is how you are to respond. This is how you're to conduct yourself. This is what will happen to you. That also includes you will try to escape because some of the guys in the Korean War, even though they maybe only had one guard and no fences and no towers with guns, they wouldn't get up and walk off. They'd been so conditioned. They had no idea what was happening to them because they had not been prepared. They had not been briefed. They had not been trained. They had not been inoculated from this. And so our military had to study this and say, what do we do? They came up with this military code of conduct that says, here's what's likely going to happen to you. Here's how you're to respond. But again, those guys came home and said, if we had only known. Well, the American people, if they had only known, if they had only known what has been going on to them the last several decades with education, with media, religion. And those are your three power centers I'm studying for brainwashing. Education, media, 
and religion. If they'd only known how these power centers have been hijacked by the cultural Marxist, so the American people would willingly go along and aid in a cultural Marxist revolution in America. And by the way, that cultural Marxist revolution is almost complete. If Hillary Clinton had been elected, we would be in the final stage of a successful cultural Marxist revolution without them firing a shot. Just as they did in the Czech Republic in 1948, which became the template for communist revolutions in other nations. They didn't have to fire one shot to have a communist revolution in the Czech Republic. They simply had to put enough communists into power until they controlled all the different government agencies. And what is President Trump fighting today? He's fighting the fifth column, the deep state, which are the cultural Marxists that have infiltrated the power centers of our government, just like they did in the Czech Republic of 1948. If Hillary had been elected, she would have finished it off. So to answer your question a while ago, this is what's going to happen. We are going to move more to being a socialist nation. Unless the American people rise up and there's some kind of, um, uh, I, don't want to, I don't know if I use the word civil war or what I use, but unless there's enough of American people that rise up and stop it, that we're moving toward massive socialism. And I think right now, and that doesn't mean that Donald Trump can't get reelected or won't be reelected. I don't know. We'll see. But when he's finally done with, they finally have gotten rid of Donald Trump one way or the other. We have enough people today, 58% of millennials, that want to live under some form of communism, communism, fascism, or socialism, 58% of millennials, according to a 2017 November report. We have enough people that are now willing to tax the so-called rich, like seven, you know, some huge number of a majority of American people want to soak the rich. When this class envy can be accepted in this form of socialism to the point we have a president of the United States that stood at the podium, and I have stood, I have stood on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives at that podium. And when we have, uh, uh, and I've looked out and seen that uh, as a young man with my wife and I, when we were uh, newly married and touring the D.C. area where I used to live, and I wanted to take her there myself, and we befriended one of the uh, Capitol police officers, and he was very kind to us, and uh, he said, come on with me, I'll get you on the floor of the house, and we were just stunned. And he took us right over to the floor of the House, and we stood there behind that podium that President Trump delivers the State of the Union from, and all the presidents do. And that's not a very big room. By the way, when I was like four years old, I would go there uh, when my parents would take people sightseeing, and I'd fall asleep. And one day my family was asked to leave because I had fallen asleep, and there's no sleeping in the, in, in the gallery, even though I was four years old. So I, the, all this to say is I've stood in that little room, and it's not as big as it looks on television. Yeah, I've been, and, there, been there, and it's not. It's actually it, small. No, no, yeah. none, of these, none of those rooms, by the way, are big. I'm no, sorry. they're not. Go ahead. And to think that a president would stand in that spot. You know, if, here's the point I'm trying to make. This was back in the uh, mid-'90s. If someone had said to me, hey, where you're standing right now, eventually there's going to be a president who comes along, stands right where you're standing, and he's going to tell the American people from this podium that we are not a socialist nation. We choose liberty. We choose freedom. And he's going to have to say that because there's going to be a huge chunk of Americans that want socialism. He's got to say that because there are going to be members of the House of Representatives sitting in this chamber, dozens and dozens of them, that are members of the Democratic Socialist of America caucus. They're Democratic Socialists of America. They have a caucus. They're going to be folks that want Marxism, socialism. They're going to be Islamists. 
They're going to be sitting here in this chamber, and he's going to have to say to them, we choose liberty and freedom. We do not choose socialism. I, I would have said, really? Uh, maybe I would have believed it because this book was was uh, was out by then. You know, you, you, you probably would have. But I got to tell you, I will accept responsibility. I'll take the blame because my generation, we're, we were too dazzled by disco balls or too busy snorting blow off the back of a DeLorean to really give a damn about what was going into our school system or about what was going into uh, the television through the airwaves or, or the radio waves. So thank you for pointing this out. Now we, we have to atone, at least in my view, and in my case, for the lack of, uh, lack of things that we did, uh, or the lack of things, uh, things that we didn't do back when we had the opportunity. Now it's going to be that much more of a fight. Well, it really is. And I don't know how this is all going to end. Again, if we talk about massive inflation and people eating out of garbage bags and dumpsters like they've done in Venezuela, you know, a lot of people are going to give up. There was a guy that I quote in one of my books several years ago. I think it was Grave Influence. Uh, a, a, a McGregor Burns, maybe even George McGregor Burns or something McGregor Burns. But he was a globalist. And he said that the founding fathers have been too smart for us, too shrewd for us. And bridges and tinkering uh, to overdo and overcome the Constitution isn't going to get it done. He said the American people will only go where we want to take them under a stupendous national and economic crisis. And that's what I fear is being manipulated, whether at the Federal Reserve level or by the Bank for International Settlements. Now, I just mentioned something that most of your listeners, I don't, I don't know, your listening audience is pretty smart, so maybe they know, they know what the Bank for International Settlements, you know, what it's really all about. Most Americans have no idea what the Bank for International Settlements is. They don't even know it exists. They have no idea what it is. They don't know what the Financial Stability Board is. They have no clue about how the International Monetary Fund works, the World Bank works. They know nothing about these organizations I just listed. Uh, the International Monetary Fund being dominated by the Europeans, the uh, Bank for International Settlements out of Basel, Switzerland, uh, the World Bank tied to the UN. They don't know how any of these groups work and that their goal and objective is global governance, as uh, Joe was talking about when I came on. So part of the problem is we can't, it's like brainwashing. You can't fight brainwashing if you can't name it, you can't identify it, you don't know how it works. You can't fight the globalists if you don't know who they are, what they're doing, and how they're doing it. And most Americans have never even heard of the Bank for International Settlements. They don't know that it is the central bank of central bankers. They don't know that it goes all the way back to the days of Adolf Hitler and some of his people being involved. They don't know that the Central Bank of Central Bankers, the Bank for International Settlements, sends a representative from these various westernized, uh, uh, industrialized, I should say, industrialized nations. They go there for regular board meetings and that they, in concert, as central bankers of their respective governments, orchestrate the global economy. They don't understand how this all works. And it's not that difficult. They, they don't know that a professor at Georgetown, Carol Quigley, who mentored Bill Clinton, and Bill Clinton gave him a shout-out during his Democratic presidential nomination speech. Carol Quigley, who wrote the book Tragedy and Hope. Uh, there was an article, I think it was in the Washington Post, uh, back in the 70s, called The Man Who Knew Too Much. And within a few months, he died. But he, he spilled his guts in the book Tragedy and Hope and said, here's how they're going to have global government, and it'll come through groups like the Bank for International Settlements. 
So programs like yours and programs like mine and others that do this is very important because one reason they're winning is because we don't know uh, these things the, as American people. There's a small segment of us that knows about these things, but many people don't. And so th these are, this, is, this is the day and time where people need to turn off the television, uh, junk television, and turn on this kind of programming. That's right. And there's so yeah. much uh, indoctrination. Uh, I mean, in my lifetime, we've seen the evil side and their ideology being pushed, but it's been very subtle. And it seems like in the since the Obama administration, and you can't blame Obama, although he was part of it, his administration what was you used for him. You say that uh, again? It's not his fault, wholly his fault. But yeah, I'm talking about the he's whole. Got, he's got his mitts and fingerprints well, all over the part in the political world. But I'm talking about the world as a whole, especially the United States and the culture of the United States has taken a turn toward evil and has been more overt about it than ever before. And it's like they went from being very subtle you know, with their symbology and with their innuendos to over the top in your face, this is the way it is. And I don't know what in the world changed or how they were able to change it so fast. I can tell you. Okay, please do. I can, I can tell you. One of the first things you have to do in the brainwashing scenario that I learned from studying these books of how they carried out a brainwashing operation on the Chinese people in 1949 in China or our POWs in the Korean War, one of the things you have to do initially, and, he, and I'm laying them out in my book, in my research, in a new docu-movie that we're working on. Uh, I'm laying them out in the order that they need to occur, or at least in a close order that they would need to occur. But one of the things you must do initially is you must remove men of courage. You must remove strong leaders. You must remove authoritarian masculine men. So when the men were brought into the POW camps in the Korean War, the studies show by our own military that they would, the communists would identify those that were called reactionaries. Now, I would be considered a reactionary. You would be considered a reactionary. You two guys, most of your male listeners in this audience would be considered conservative reactionaries, leaders. They know what they believe. They know why they believe it. They're willing to defend it. They are willing to convince other people of the truth or to help people see the truth and not go along with the brainwashing or the misinformation or the propaganda or the information operation, the psychological op, whatever you want to call it, propaganda war, fake news. Those men had to be moved away from the rest of the POW population. And you know what percentage that was? Uh, 5%. How many? 5%. So they only needed to move aside about 5% of the population that were considered the leaders from the other 95%. It's kind of like Aldous Huxley said in his book, Brave New World. He said, uh, round pegs don't fit in square holes and tend to have dangerous thoughts about the social system and to infect others with that discontent. So you have to move those men out of the way, 5%, and they sent them off to reactionary camps. But by the way, many of them were considered religious. And so they said there's no, there's really no hope for them, which is kind of really interesting because today the communists have hijacked religion. Then they were atheists. Today, many of these communists are very spiritual slash religious or spiritual. So they used to think, oh, there's no hope for the religious people because they were atheists, the communists. Many of the communists today are into pantheism, all is God. Panentheism, God is in all. They're into the whole new age spirituality as well. So that's kind of interesting. But that's a whole other conversation. Reality is that the, the, uh, the, the uh, charts don't work anymore. 
uh, in my library, I have a lot of books from the 70s and 80s and 90s on, on different worldviews and things and groups and what they believe. And the charts don't work. You go read some of these charts and they say, well, here is what a, a communist is. A communist is an atheist. Therefore, he believes in naturalism. And when you die, that's it. Life is over. Well, that doesn't fit anymore because many of your communists today aren't naturalists or secular humanists. They're into cosmic humanism. They're the new age. They believe there's a spiritual life after. They believe in reincarnation and such. So many people have not been able to keep up with the changes that are being uh, carried out that have caused much of the education of some people to be old-fashioned, and they're still talking about communists as though they're atheistic, when many of them are no longer atheistic. Some are, but the majority of them are not. But these religious people and men of courage and conviction, there was no hope for them, so they had to be moved aside. 5% of them, that, so they would infect the other 5%, uh, 95%. That's where we're at today. That's why we see that anyone who is a strong leader, uh, an alpha male, type A, authoritarian, masculine, what do they deem them? The American Psychological Association says they're crazy, they're, they're nuts, they're dangerous, toxic masculinity. So you must destroy these guys. Now, later this afternoon or this evening, I'll have a radio, uh, radio show up online at worldviewradio.com that I did today live at 1 o'clock, and I'll have it up in the next couple hours at worldviewradio.com. And what I played was a perfect example of how destroying the American masculine male and moving leaders out of the way and shaming leaders, this is one of many examples I could give you, but we have an exclusive. We produced the TV show of Billy and Karen Vaughn. Their son, Aaron Vaughn, was one of 17 Navy SEALs on Extortion 17 that was shot down in Afghanistan in August of 2011. Their, they produced their TV studio, or excuse me, they produced their TV show in our studio. We produce it for them and distribute it. And they can watch that on our YouTube channel or at wvwtv.com. This weekend, I produced their third program. In that program, they are interviewing the wife of Navy SEAL Eddie Gallagher. Eddie Gallagher is highly decorated Navy SEAL. He has been doing, been in this combat for like 17, 18 years, multiple high decorations as a Navy SEAL with men under his command. And he's sitting tonight in the brig on trial because of a whisper campaign that started that went on for a year, and there's, I'm told by his brother, as we played the videos from him being interviewed, and then his wife who was being interviewed in our studio via Skype with the Vons, there's video evidence, evidence and pictures that show that he should have never been put on trial. What he's accused of doing after a multi-hour fight with ISIS, after a multi-hour fight with ISIS, them, them killing many, many ISIS people, but them almost dying over many hours. One ISIS fighter, I think was 15 years old, survived. Yep. Eddie has medical training as well. And so they grabbed this kid and they brought him into their compound and they were trying to save his life, not out of the goodness of their heart, but because they wanted him to survive so they could interrogate him for intelligence. The, the medic somewhere along the way made a, a slit in his throat to help him breathe. Right. So he, he cut like a trach into his throat to help him breathe. A year after he gets home, Eddie's being accused of having stabbed the kid and killed him. Now, why would he do that 
if he just helps save the kid and bring him into the camp to save him so he can interrogate him. But he's accused of killing him and stabbing him in the neck to finish him off. Well, first of all, this is in the theater of battle. They just killed a bunch of ISIS after hours and hours of fighting. And they're going to cry and moan that he may have gone ahead and finished off a dying ISIS fighter. I, but that's not even what happened. That's not even what happened. The evidence seems to be clear from everything we're being told by his brother and wife that he actually brought the kid in with someone else and they were trying to save him. And a medic made this slit in his throat, his, his brother said, to try to save him. And then a whisper campaign that was going around because according to the, and you can read a lot of this, by the way, at justiceforeddy.com, some of the men under his command that their, that their team calls uh, Mean Girls were upset that he supposedly had not paid them back for a haircut, that he had drank their Red Bull, that he had, I guess, broken one of their magazine clips. And so these petty little things that he had tried to make right in a meeting to get all the team back on the same plan and everybody getting rid of their bad attitudes. But supposedly these, these Mean Girls came back and started talking with this whisper campaign. Next thing you know, he's arrested thrown in the brig, waiting trial, but the day they arrested him, fully kitted NCIS, raid his home, even though he had told them his wife wasn't home and his boys were at home alone, they raid his home, fully kitted NCIS SWAT team, and force his, uh, one boy I think was a senior and one was in third grade, out into the street at gunpoint in their underwear. Now, as you listen to how this American hero has been treated, and by the way, the judge has now dropped four of the charges, and yes. they fully expect to be exonerated. I've been following what, this. Yeah. What, of this, what is this all about, in part? It's about demoral, demoralizing our military. And the people like the Bonds and others will tell you on our TV show this week at WVW-TV, as they interview Andrea Gallagher, that this is demoralizing the military. That if you go out there and you do your job and you kill the jihadis and you kill ISIS or you kill Al-Qaeda or you kill uh, Islamic Revolutionary Guard, you're going to get home. You're going to be arrested by your own government. You're going to be thrown in the brig. You're, you're, by the way, the treatment he's receiving, they say, is similar to that right on their website, justiceforeddy.com. They say it's equal to that which you would see in like uh, the KG, KGB communist interrogation books. Uh, he's, he's writing notes about being cold, not having enough food. Um, and so what we're doing is we are we are tearing down masculine warfighters in our military. So this isn't only going on in the culture. It's going on in our military. And let me tell you something. The Marxists and the Islamists have penetrated key places in our media, in our educational system, in religious circles, and things like interfaith dialogue and social justice. And now the cultural Marxists are the fifth column in the deep state. Some of them have reached positions in our government as JAG lawyers. They're trying to make a name for themselves and go after a highly decorated SEAL. And in the process, many of them are destroying the American male and removing the leaders from the face of our nation. And you must get these men to sit down and shut up and understand what's going to happen to you if you are actually a leader. And once they have convinced 5% of these leaders that we will destroy you or they do destroy them, the other 95% will fall in line. And that's one of the things we learned from the POWs in the Korean War. You've got to move the leaders out of the way. And it's not a very small, it's not a very big percentage that you have to, to, to neutralize. You know, you just plugged a very important uh, intellectual hole here because people don't understand. And I, and I think you did a very great job of, of really filling this in. 
when we talk about brainwashing and people people kind of roll their eyes and think, okay, you know, um, it, it's just a bunch of hooey. I mean, it, of course, you can think back to the movie Manchurian Candidate back uh, with Frank Sinatra. That movie was made and banned for a reason. Um, enough said about that, unless you have something to say. But your series, which I, I cannot recommend highly enough, is on Brainwashed. Um, so important. Uh, and you're right, too, going moving forward to the, uh, to the, demoralize, the demoralization of the the military look what they're doing with the transgendered uh mm-hmm. stuff in the military look at, look i think at. a judge ruled against that though uh yeah. finally after all the uh back and forth back and forth back and forth but the, the censorship uh yeah, social media uh you know and th- this is a piece that is from natural news but apparently this just came out today apple demands natural news stop writing about abortions or satanism threatens to block natural news app from all apple devices mike adams obviously uh, the the hoster or the owner of Natural News, but he says it's the first time that a big tech company has come out in defense of Satanism, threatening to shut it's, somebody it's down. It's coming. It's come to all of and us. And we we've seen this. This is a trend. Uh, Laura Loomer lost her PayPal access last week uh, because she's been labeled as anti-Islamic uh, when she herself was just defending her own uh, Jewish heritage. And and they're doing it along racial lines. They're doing it along political lines. They're doing it along religious belief lines. But only one segment of that uh, of those categories are being the ones who are censored and those are the christians those are the conservatives and those are the people 5%. who are upholding the moral and and values that this country was founded on it's the other side that is the ones who are who are dictating what is and is not allowed on these big tech platforms and on tv and whatnot it's so twisted and, and backwards what well, Bre- 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 one or two generations uh, with kids with with screens before everybody's completely you know uh, void of any intellectual thought and critical thinking. Well, if you go back to 1984, uh, E. Griffin, remember him? G. Griffin? Griffin. Yeah, yeah. He interviewed in 1984. You'll find it on YouTube. A former KGB officer by the name of Yuri Bizanov, and Yuri Bizanov uh, listed out four stages that the KGB had for bringing down a nation. Demoralize, destabilize, chaos, and then the, and then normalize. So demoralize, that takes just one generation or one school, school cycle, 12 years. 12 years to put kids through your school system. So demoralize, you can do that in 12 years. And by the way, if you're going to reverse that, that takes another 12 years. So demoralize, destabilize, Chaos, and then the new norm. This is the new norm. We are in the chaos stage now. I mean, would anyone disagree we're in the chaos stage? And the chaos is going to get a lot worse. And then there'll be people who will accept the normalization. Even the people who are opposed to socialism and big government will accept it because they're sick and tired of the chaos. And as Ben Franklin said, the people that give up their liberty for a little bit of security are worthy of neither lose both. But we are seeing these stages play out. One of the things that we have to get understand is to reverse this takes the same amount of time as it took to get us here in that if it takes just 12 years or 13 years if you count kindergarten, kindergarten through 12th grade, 13 years to indoctrinate them. Well, then it takes 13 years to do the reverse. So how many generations have we been doing this with? Many, right? 62 ruling on prayer and Bible reading in the 60s and then the 1980s. Supreme Court ruling on you can't teach creation versus evolution. 
So we start teaching kids basically life has no meaning, there is no God, life has no ultimate purpose or meaning, nihilism, nihilism, postmodernism, truth and reality created by man, not by God. They learn on the college campus Nietzsche and and uh, they learn the French philosopher Michael Foucault. And so we've got a lot of work to do to reverse that. But here's the issue too. The set, after you remove the leaders, you must begin to create doubt. So first you must remove leaders. Then after you remove that maybe 5% of the leaders or you've silenced them, them, you've shamed them, you've banned them, you've shadow banned them, you've blocked them, you've charged them with hate speech, hate crimes, whatever you got to do. Once you're done with those 5%, and we'll go with that figure of 5% based on what was happening with the Korean War and the POWs, then you need to get the 95% that remain to start to be involved in the brainwashing operation. One of the first things you have to do is create doubt. You have to create doubt. And you start a false narrative that causes people to question their own convictions, their own worldview. There are six dominant worldviews that rule the world. There are more than six, but there are uh, worldviews in total. But there are six dominant worldviews that rule the world. Biblical Christianity, obviously. Uh, you have secular humanism. You have cosmic humanism or new age, postmodernism, Islam, and communism. And your worldview is the foundation of your values. Your values is the foundation of your conduct. So once you change their worldview, you're going to change their values. Once you change their values, you're naturally going to change their conduct. I mean, look at America. Did we ever think we would have abortion on demand? Well, did we ever think we'd have abortion on demand the very day the child could be born, as is going on in states now and being talked about being expanded? Did we ever think we would have sex change operations for kids as young as five? Yet that's gone on in places like Boston. So look at where we are today. We change the worldview. We change their values. We change their conduct. So what you have to do is start getting people to question that foundational worldview. And in America, that has been a Judeo-Christian worldview from what we get a constitutional republic. And the constitutional republic, based, based on William Blackstone, the leading scholar for the Founding Fathers, was what the divine is ruled on, we don't rule against. So once you do away with that, there is no God, or you're your own God, or Mother Earth, Earth worship, God is all, all is God. There's no set of standards anymore. It's fluid. Postmodernism, truth and reality created by man, not by God. Now we change their worldview, we change their values, we change their conduct. Now we're reaching the consequences of that, of that aren't we, today? Now for those of us who remain that will not join the group consensus, here's what they must do to us. They must convince us to be involved in self-doubt. They must try to be, have us be involved in self-criticism. They must have us say, well, maybe I really am the problem. I wonder how many in your listening audience tonight, after all of the negative that comes against them by the group, because they won't join the group consensus, whether at their church or within their own family or their own community or friends from high school and college and years gone by, their friends are all going off toward the globalism and the leftism and the social justice and the white privilege and all the cultural Marxism and political correctness. But your listening audience is saying, I'm not going to join you there. But this pressure comes at them constantly, constantly, constantly. And at some point, I guarantee you, most of your audience has said, well, maybe I am too conservative. Maybe I am too harsh. When you're really not, you just have convictions. Maybe I need to be more tolerant. Maybe the problem is me. 
And I would venture to guess a big chunk of your audience have found themselves in that place where they start to be involved in self-doubt and questioning their own worldview, their own values. That is vital to the brainwashing operation being successful. And frank, frankly, if I want to take this back to this being a spiritual issue, which I think it is at its core, it's a spiritual demonic situation. The first information operation or brainwashing campaign and, and doubt of one's worldview began in Genesis chapter 3, where Satan in the form of a serpent said to Eve, did God really say? Well, did God really say? Did God really say you should not eat from this tree that is in the garden or that you should not touch it? Did God really say? That's a good and once place you to... create that self-doubt, there you go. That's a good place to stop. We're at the top of the hour network break. I want to, Brandon, I want to thank you. You are uh, really the king of information when it comes to all of this sabotage, the movie. You Folks, go to Worldview Weekend, uh, worldviewweekend.com. There you can text uh, 88202 when they're, on, when they're live. The new series started yesterday, Brainwashed. But get Next Sunday night, every Sunday night, 8 p.m., and they can follow us on live stream at livestream.com slash WVW. Just follow us on live stream, okay. livestream.com slash WVW TV. And, and they can join to, choose to follow us, and they'll get a notice when we go live, or they can join our text alert system, and they'll get a text right before we go live by simply texting uh, WVW to 88202. So if they text WVW to 88202, They'll get a text alert with a link to watch right before we go live. Or, they, again, they can follow us at livestream.com slash WVWTV. So the next series of this is this coming Sunday night, 8 p.m. Central Time, live. Brennan, I, I can't thank you enough. This has been so valuable, and I really appreciate you. I appreciate everything you do, and so does our audience. Thank you so much. Thank you, Doug. All right. Come right back. Thank If nutrition is so important for health, longevity, and well-being, then why is your doctor not teaching you about nutrition? Because most likely your doctor never learned any of this in medical school. Less than a quarter of medical schools have even a single dedicated course on nutrition. Here is another interesting fact. The federal government spends about $10 million a year to educate people about healthy eating. However, the candy companies spend about twice that amount just launching a new candy bar. I'm here today to talk to you about the importance of consuming clean foods without GMOs and other toxic preservatives and to teach you how to never throw away food again. Did you know that in the US more than $160 billion is wasted every year? My friends at Simply Clean Foods have solved this problem. Their line of fruits and vegetables, as well as proteins like beef, chicken eggs, and turkey, have a shelf life of up to 25 years. These resealable pouches allow you to consume only what you need for a meal and save the balance in your pantry for up to six months. This amazing food has only one ingredient that tastes better than some produce at your local market, plus without any harmful preservatives like MSG. Nutrition is the key. 
hypocrites say our food should be our medicine our medicine should be our food as old english proverb states don't dig your grave with your own fork and knife please friends go to www.simplycleanfoods.net that's www.simplycleanfoods.net today they have single pouches and a variety of packs available or call 737-400-2066 and speak to one of their staff and remember he who has health has hope You know, during the break, Joe was saying, it's time to go Rambo. And I agree. I'll tell you what. 5%. Brandon House, 5%. 5%. What do they say about the Revolutionary War? 3 to 3, 5. 3 to 5%. Yeah. yeah. And, and you so know, it's, you it's, it's really interesting. When you mention that number, oh, there are certain individuals out there in entities, groups, study um, uh, think tanks. Who say, oh no, that, you're you're wrong. No, no, no. You've got to, you're not counting this group and that group and these people in this sect. And no, 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 no. And you know who the the real leaders during the Revolutionary War were? The men behind the pulpits, mm-hmm. the pastors, the ministers, the tent preachers, the evangelicals. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were the ones. Uh, before we get, to, look, I, I, I just, you know what? I got to say this. Uh, I love our sponsors. I know that we, we we got stuff to do here, but I love our sponsors because they do help us pay the bills. And one of the sponsors that really, and I mean, I got to tell you, I'm talking to guys now. I'm not now, guys. Listen to me, okay? Take it from me. You trust me? Trust me. Forhims.com. Forhims.com. I'm going to give it to you one more time. For hymns, F O R H I M S dot com slash H H. Now, why did I say that? Why do you have to know that? For dot com slash H H. Why? Because, guy, guys, listen to me. Let's face facts. 66% of us guys, we begin losing our hair, start losing our hair by age 35. The thing is, when you start to notice things like that, it's too late. It's easier to keep your hair once you have, or you know, keep keep. It's easier for you to keep your the hair you have on your head than to replace the hair you've lost. Believe me, I ask you: Do you want a bald spot to pop up, or do you want to do something about it before it starts? Now, I'm talking about the the, the, the guys out there, and some actually. Um, even later in life, I've noticed this. Even later in life, start losing their hair, and, and there's other things that uh, Four Hims does too. It's a one-stop shop for hair loss, for skin care, and for yes, even sexual wellness. And you think, wow, did he just say that? Yeah, you know what, guys, look, man up and do what you got to do. Now you you got a couple of choices here. Uh, you can stand in line at your doctor's office. You make an appointment. Uh, embarrassing visits perhaps or um, no i don't take care of that specific uh, issue this that the other whatever for hymns that's f-o-r-h-i-m-s dot com slash h-h they connect you with real doctors with who have medical grade solutions to treat for example hair loss no snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements uh, prescription solutions backed by science no waiting room no awkward in-person doctor visits you can save hours and i mean this you could save hours by going to for f-o-r-h-i-m-s dot com i many i've heard from many of our listeners guys you know who you are and i'm glad they've helped it's very easy 
All you have to do is answer a few quick questions. The doctor would review, will review and prescribe uh, what you need. Per, uh, products are shipped directly to your door. Now, here's what you got to do real quick. Our listeners get a trial month of hymns for just $5 right now, 5 bucks while supplies last. you got to see the website for the details. Now, this would ordinarily cost hundreds if you went to a doctor or a pharmacy. Trust me, I know. Go to 4-F-O-R-H-I-M-S-4-H-I-M-S.com slash H-H. That's 4-H-I-M-S, F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash H-H. That's 4-H-I-M-S.com slash H-H. You guys will be happy, happy campers, and I guarantee you, you'll be thanking me. As, as Don, there, There's a guy, a gentleman by the name of Don, uh, D-O-N, uh, sent me a couple of emails. And uh, Don... I'm glad you had a great experience with forhims.com slash HH. Thank you. All right. All right. Before we get to Peter, I just want to address something a few people have sent via email. Diane, thank you. Deborah, thank you. Diane, thanks. Got this from Diane. The Pope and, the, and Imam signed an agreement joining their religions. I'll look for the report and send back to you. Well, in the meantime, I found Zero Hedge reported on this. Uh, was a globalist one world religion just formed? Pope and Imam, Pope and Islam's top Imam just made a historic pact. An historic interfaith covenant was signed in the Middle East on Monday, and the mainstream media in the United States has been almost entirely silent about it. This wasn't a ceremony for Catholics and Muslims. According to a British news source, the signing of this covenant was done in front of a global audience of religious leaders from Christianity, Islam, Judaism, and other faiths. There was a a concentrated effort to make sure all the religions of the world were represented at this gathering. A tremendous amount of preparation went into the drafting of the document, and it encourages believers from all religions to shake hands, embrace one another, to kiss one another, and pray with one another. Over and over again, the word of God is used simultaneously to identify Allah and the God of Christianity. The document also declares the diversity of religions that we see in the world as willed by God. In essence, it is saying that it is the will of God that there are hundreds of different religions in the world and that they are all acceptable in his sight. Who said that? And it goes on from Who there. Who said that? It's not the will of God. It, it's a, it, No, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. You, you know, that, that, that fake doctor out there, PhD, okay, he, he's a polytheist or, or a... Uh, he's, aside from being just, in my view, a complete... Uh, last time I said something like this, I got sued, but... Uh, <laughs> look, you know, uh, I, I guess, I guess, uh, n- never mind. I- except to say this: Where are the five percent? I talked to we we talked to the five percent last night, right? But you know, there are five percent of how many million? Three hundred and some odd million. Let, let, let's just take it easier. Uh, let's just take let's let's groom it back. Let's say 100 million, which is a ridiculous figure, um, are don't care about the well. May, I don't know. Maybe that's not ridiculous. Or don't care about the United States. So we've got 200 million, and let's scale it back. Let's say 150 million are women. Let's scale it back even more. I, I don't care. You, you start doing the subtract subtractions and all that. You still have a good number of of five percenters out there ready to kick some ass, take some names, and guess what? Our pens are out of ink, and we ain't got no more paper. That's right. So, let's rock. Let's bring on Mr. Peter Chowka. He joins us each Monday in hour number three for political and media analysis that you can't find anywhere else. Peter, welcome back to the Hagman Report. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Doug. Great to be with you again. And uh, on audio only, 
tonight for the next hour I should explain that uh, I had a very long dental appointment today that ran almost two hours and was actually mostly just uh, getting acquainted with this new dentist and evaluation of x-rays and treatment options but I did have my mouth propped open for quite a bit of time and uh, since it ran long didn't give me time to set up the studio so we're on audio only tonight we will return to video next time but uh, I wanted to start out by quoting something that a, a person left in a comment at one of the YouTube videos and it's something that really stood out to me this person wrote trying to identify and categorize each and every person or group that's involved in this, and by this I think he meant the day-to-day -day nonsense stories that we're inundated with. So uh, every person or a group that's involved in this is tedious and distracting, just as Lucifer designed it to be. Once we truly understand and focus on the main issue here, which is Lucifer, we can focus our energy and our prayers to a focal point and be much more productive in our fight, end quote. And I tend to agree with that. I think it's a different way of saying what I've been trying to do uh, when I come on with you every week now, that even if you look at, at reality today on a secular level, we are being bombarded with so many psyops every day, an increasing number, an uncountable number of complex stories coming hurled at us from all directions, a full spectrum assault, that we can therefore lose sight of the big picture of history and of what we really need to focus on. So I've titled uh, the segment tonight, actually two titles possibly, one is Democracy, Demography is Destiny, and the other is Past is prologue, and a subtitle I would put on it is, can we get off this political merry-go-round that we're on? First to the past is prologue part, uh, and I'd like to turn it back to the JFK assassination, which took place over 55 years ago now, and people might ask, why is this still relevant? Well, it's relevant because it was a coup d'etat to unseat a sitting president in the most violent way imaginable. And whoever did it, whatever combination of forces and individuals, changed the course of history in less than seven seconds in Dallas, Texas, on November 22nd, 1963. And one reason I've been delving back into this is, well, we, we see, first of all, we see a, a slow coup d'etat in progress now, picking up steam, I would argue, focused at the administration of President Trump, but also vis-a-vis -vis the JFK assassination, I've been preparing in recent weeks for a one-on-one -on -one interview with John Barber. And John has written uh, a new book, which will be out on April 1st, over 700 pages, an autobiography, and boy, can he write. The title is Your Mother's Not a Virgin, The Bumpy Life and Times of the Canadian Dropout who managed or who changed the face of American TV. And when I bring John on with me uh, one of these days soon in the interview segment, we'll be focusing our first conversation on the JFK assassination. It was back in 1992 that John Barber wrote, directed, and narrated uh, an incredible documentary film called The Jim Garrison Tapes, which is based on the 1980 interviews 
uh, that ran for three hours on film that John conducted on behalf of an NBC crew with New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison, the only prosecutor in the United States to ever bring charges against someone for a conspiracy, for being part of a conspiracy to assassinate President Kennedy. And his target, Garrison's target, was uh, New Orleans businessman Clay Shaw, who was acquitted in the 1967 trial. But after that acquittal of Shaw, Garrison was doxxed by the mainstream media and everyone else. And uh, John Barber looked him up in 1980 and got one of the few, if only, extensive filmed interviews with Garrison. And 12 years later, John turned this into a documentary, which is actually online. You can find it on YouTube for free viewing called The Jim Garrison Tapes. And uh, not only that, in uh, 1992, John, uh, I'm sorry, in 1917, John uh, emerged again with another documentary, The American Media and the Second Assassination of President John F. Kennedy. So he is at age 85 now on the trail of the assassins of JFK. Uh, more vigorously than anybody else, I think, bringing together his decades of expertise in network television, in writing. He's an Emmy Award-winning journalist, and he's a brilliant documentary filmmaker. So I cannot wait to get an hour to interview him on his work on the JFK assassination. Originally, I was hoping it would happen. That, that, that's, that, that's all about the – now, just to be clear, when John Barber comes on, um, that's a garrison angle so people understand, right? Uh, that, that's what you're talking about because we, because he was on and we spoke about that and I thought that was so fascinating and frankly, we left a lot on the table. So you're going to be talking about the garrison angle with uh, – Right. John, he, John was on with you guys I think last May for two hours and um, – what happened is John, John Barber is, you know, I've gotten to know him in, in recent months because on September 17th last year, he invited me to be a guest for an hour on his uh, internet, radio, and television program, John Barber's World, which is currently on hiatus because his uh, platform, uh, the studios, were damaged during one of the California fires, although he will be back, but... Uh, I got a chance to meet him on that occasion, and it, it was an incredible meeting of the minds, and I've been in touch with him since then. He, he's just really a great person. He, he's a wonderful individual, and I, as I've gotten more in touch with the wealth and the depth of his career, it's just I – mean, I mean he's taken over 700 pages in his new autobiography to sketch it out, and he could probably write several more volumes, but – uh, this man is a true pioneer of reality television, of uh, critical journalism, and of deconstructing what happened uh, on November 22nd, 1963. And uh, indeed, a large part of that is based on his interviews with the late Jim Garrison, who, of course, was the focal point of Oliver Stone's 1991 feature dramatic film jfk which i can't recommend highly enough that that film which opened in theaters on december 20th 1991 changed the landscape of critiques 
of the JFK assassination, and that was, uh, what, 28 years after the fact. I mean, that opened the floodgates of information, which unfortunately to this point have not led to the crime being solved, but uh, they went, it went a long way towards helping advance that dialogue. And now we have John Barber further advancing it. Uh, he, he has such a passion for this work and, and does such incredible work that uh, I just can't praise him highly enough. So uh, he will be on. Originally, I was hoping it would be this Thursday, but I've been dealing with some personal issues here, which are going to, I think, uh, intrude with that plan. So I'm probably going to have to push it off till next week. And then after our uh, my first hour with John, I want to revisit with him in a later interview on the Hagman Report to get into other aspects of his uh, career unrelated to the JFK assassination because he has stories to tell there and uh, a vantage point. I mean, he started as a stand-up comedian in the 1960s. He went on to work for KNBC in Los Angeles, the flagship NBC station on the West Coast, where he did, among other things, film reviews and won awards for that. And that introduced him to the film community, to the Hollywood community. Then he was the creator of the first reality network television program, Real People, which ran for five years on NBC from 1979 to 84, and on and on and on, many other accomplishments and achievements. So he, he is he's a giant of our times. And, and of course, because our culture doesn't really give enough respect or note to people of accomplishment when they reach a certain age. He he's not overexposed at this point, but he's got great stories to tell, and and he's really looking forward to it too. I I, I consider him a friend now, and he considers me a friend, and it, it's just going to be really really wonderful. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, in terms of the demography's destiny, which I mentioned, I, I got in touch with a uh, nationally recognized author, expert, and futurist in the field of demography and generational marketing over the weekend. His name is Kenneth Groback, and I heard him on Coast to Coast AM for two hours on January 28th. And I, the moment I tuned in, he, he, he said something really incredible, so I – sent him an email, uh, an address I found, and he answered me right away. I asked him if he could uh, clarify that quote for me so that I could quote it with attribution on this program and possibly in print. And this is the quote he gave me on an email, quote, this is Kenneth Groback, quote, young voters tend to be liberal and old voters tend to be conservative. We are losing a conservative every 16 seconds because they're dying at a rate of 2 million a year, and we're gaining a liberal every eight seconds because they're coming of age to vote at 4 million per year. Over the course of the millennial Generation Y tenure, the USA should become very liberal, end quote. So this is an expansion of what I heard him say on Coast to Coast AM, and it certainly speaks to that issue of democracy. Demography is destiny, and it's the bottom line for much of what we're seeing today. But another, of course, profound democratic change is who is being imported in the country by 
untold millions of numbers, that is, illegal aliens who, on the whole, are not prepared to be a positive complement to our constitutional republic. Now, less than a decade ago, leading Democrats, we know, condemned illegal immigration, calling it illegal immigration, and they supported and voted for a wall or physical barrier. Now, all of them are insisting that a wall is not needed, it's racist, or it's immoral. And the only thing that's changed in the past decade is the makeup of the country. A critical mass in this invasion of illegal aliens of the USA that's been going on for decades has now been achieved. And uh, talk show host Michael Savage, who I've been listening to lately as he scaled down his live show on radio every day to one hour, complemented by an internet podcast. But uh, this seems to have freed him up to, to be even more direct in telling it like it is. And in recent days on his radio show, he's been putting the number of illegal aliens at closer to, quote, 50 million or more. Not the absurd figure of 11 million that we can continue to hear. So this is the Democrats' ticket to turn red states blue. They've already done it in California, New Mexico, Nevada, and other states, and they are well on their way in Arizona, Florida, Georgia, and they're, they're, they're even targeting Texas. And in the midterm elections, they came very, very close, that is the Democrats, with winning key elections in Florida, Georgia, and Texas, previously pretty solid red conservative states. And now those states and others are hanging by a thread. So between that, the illegal invasion, and uh, these young voters coming of age, and uh, those of us conservatives dying off at a rate of two million a year or so uh we're in for some rough times ahead now the last time i was on here unfortunately i missed last monday but uh my last time on the hagman report was thursday january 31st with uh my one-on-one interview with richard pollock who is was the senior investigative reporter of Daily Caller for the last uh, half decade or so. And uh, I consider that that broadcast um, possibly, uh, I don't know about rating my own broadcast out of the, well, this is number 86 today that I've done on the Hagman Report since June, <clears throat> June of 2017. But out of the 86, uh, I think I may have liked that one the best because of my guest, Richard Pollack. Again, it was a real meeting of the minds. There was no pre-interviewing. There was no emailing ahead of time what we would discuss. I just asked him some questions. We had a dialogue. And among other things, Richard asserted the primacy of named sources and facts when you're an investigative journalist, which is what I have been saying lately as well. He also talked about the importance of confronting anti-Semitism because there is a growing anti-Semitic streak we see on both the left right in our face right now as we speak and even the right too. So I, I really appreciated that interview and it's still 
the podcast, the video podcast of it is still uh, there on the homepage of the Hagman Report YouTube under my heading of Peter B. Chowka Between the Lines. And anyone who didn't hear that or see it, I really recommend it largely because of the quality of my guest that evening, Richard Pollack. I, I think it was really one of the favorite interviews I've done in my long career of interviewing people going back to actually the 1960s. Um, so it, kind of related to that, on uh, February 6th, I issued a tweet on my Twitter uh, about something that President Trump did at the State of the Union. And I haven't been on since the State of the Union, but I just as an aside, I thought that that speech was without a question one of the best State of the Union addresses, you know, content aside. Well, I mean, the content was exceptional, but the delivery, the quality of the writing was absolutely exceptional. And uh, one of the things President Trump did, which I took note of in my tweet, was honoring the death camp survivor Joshua Kaufman. Um, and then, uh, and this, this was a rare tweet that I issued without tying it to an article that I wrote or a, a broadcast that I'd done. I just, like so many other people do, I just tweeted something and linked to a, a Breitbart article about, uh, which quoted at length uh, about Joshua Kaufman and what President Trump said. And uh, this tweet was retweeted, this tweet of, tweet of mine was retweeted by Charles Payne, the on-air personality of Fox Business. And uh, there's my original tweet, I guess. And um, uh, Charles Payne retweeted it, Fox Business Network on-air person and Fox uh, News Channel person. And it got uh, 833 likes and 273 retweets, which was, was good for me recently. That was really, really cool. And I really appreciated that. And I had a little dialogue back and forth with Charles Payne. And I actually hope to interview him in the near future for American Thinker. But, um, yes, there is um, my thanks to Charles Payne for his tweet uh, and he titled his retweet, so many beautiful, touching parts of the State of the Union, but this was the most powerful. So he agreed with me that this was a standout moment in President Trump's State of the Union. And for those on the conservative right, and they're out there who are, they say they're anti-Zionist, but I don't know. Martin Luther King uh, is quoted reliably as having said that when you see an anti-Zionist, it's really an anti-Semite. Now, he said that. I'm quoting him, citing him. People can make up their own minds, but uh, the person we admire, I think most of us, if not all of us, President Donald Trump, who, did, who among others did he introduce at the State of the Union? The Holocaust survivor, Joshua Kaufman, who is now an American citizen and has had a very productive life here. Uh, you know, taking a step back with all the, the nonsense that's going on, and it's really future shock on steroids now, in my opinion. Uh, this is the situation right now, February 11th, 2019. We have the President of the United States. We have the United States Senate. And yet, look what is going on. It's getting crazier by the day. And, you know, if you 
I mean, yesterday, uh, uh, Sunday, February 10th, Drudge Report was highlighting uh, what Alex Jones was reporting of his sources, uh, saying that Mueller will be winding up his investigation by March 1st and expect indictments to follow. A Drudge, he said, got it slightly wrong and said Trump will be indicted, and Alex clarified on his two-hour program yesterday on Sunday, February 10th, that it's really administration figures who will definitely be indicted. But uh, as I listened to Alex's program yesterday, I had to hand it to him again because his analysis, which he was basing on sources, albeit on name sources, to me seemed legitimate that he was – and in fact, at least one of his callers mentioned that, complimenting Alex on – on his historical overview, on the work he has done, on his ability to articulate the issues, and and very rarely actually go out on a limb that is then sawed off. You know, Alex is, in his career, in my opinion, right more often than he is wrong. And I think we have to pay close attention to what he said on his broadcast yesterday and what he is now putting up at Infowars.com and it's very, very, very alarming. Well, there's a lot that's alarming uh, going on, Peter. As I just mentioned before you came on, I'm looking at uh, a but he's few right, things though. now. Oh, yeah. I just, want, I just want to just, just to finish your thought before you jump because I know where you're going. The, the stuff with the he's Vatican right. and the, and the uh, Pope and the, the imam, Islamic imam, I'm not going to cover any more of that now, but people should be aware that there's some kind of – um, the interfaith pact or covenant that's that's been signed. You also have President Trump in Texas today giving a uh, rally in El Paso, Texas, and countering that rally is Beto Rourke. No, no, who, no Robert Francis. Ran, Robert Let's Francis Rocker Beto, Beto O'Rourke. Oh, uh, so the headline from the Gateway Pundit, 65 people line up for Beto Rourke, 22,000 line up to see Trump in Texas. Uh, so obviously he, I think he has lost his uh, uh, appeal to the American people. I don't think he's a viable presidential candidate anymore. Although I do expect him to run, and also potentially a budget deal reached, which has implications as to President Trump's border wall, and if that will get finished. Uh, I've been reading all day that there is an agreement in place that the president might sign to avert a government shutdown that includes uh, funding for the border wall, but. I'm also hearing speculation. This is just speculation that it's only about half of the money needed of the five billion. So you're looking around two point four billion dollars that might be allocated in this budget deal. Now, all that speculation, I have not seen any actual documentation on that. But this is other stuff that's going on um, as we speak. So I don't know, Peter. What would you think about a uh, the potential for the government shutdown to be averted, but only half of the money for the border wall in there? You know, that's that's a shot that I find really hard to call because uh, Trump is behind the eight ball in this. If he tries to hold fast and if he doesn't get what he feels is enough for border security and it goes into a shutdown again, he's going to be blamed again, being blamed for people being hurt at all levels. So it's I think it's a lose lose situation for him, and I don't know where this is going to go. I really don't. I I, I think we need to pray for that one this week. Uh, you know, in terms of of Robert Francis O'Rourke, 
Uh, you know, I love it, Joe, when when you say that he's finished. <laughs> God, I hope you are right. But I I I wonder because he hasn't even declared a campaign yet. I mean, he's been kind of hemming and hawing. He did appear with Oprah. And and she did the anointing there. She did a hands-on with him, you know, and gave him the the hour there to strut his stuff. And I, I wouldn't rule this guy or anybody else out. And in fact, I want to get into this now to talk about some of the candidates. Uh, well, actually, not a candidate at first, but Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Now, in the five weeks since she was sworn in, she has led the news cycle, not only in the United States, but internationally more than any other American politician except President Trump. So think about that. I think it's impossible to underestimate the importance already and the potential impact of AOC, as she is now known. She's the face of the new socialism, which is a soft term, a Trojan horse for full-bore Marxism and communism. Now, on June 28th, 2018, this is another thing I tweeted about this past week uh, in like throwback Thursday. Uh, On June 28th, 2018, uh, I deconstructed uh, Ocasio-Cortez in an article that I wrote 24 hours after her victory in the New York primary, which catapulted her to national attention. I'd never heard of her before her victory that night in the primary Tuesday, I think uh, June 26th was the date. Suddenly she was on the front pages and in the news cycle the Wednesday morning after. And um, so I just wanted to actually review a few quotes from my Twitter that I wrote in that article, which was published on American, at American Thinker on June 29th. So that's uh, was actually written two days after the election. So the first thing I wrote was Ocasio-Cortez is assured of making it to the House in November as her district is a safe one for Democrats. Once there, where will she go politically? I predict further on to the left. What has she got to lose? Peter, Plenty of other uh, – Sorry to interrupt you, but what's left of, of Ocasio-Cortez right now? Is there anything even – what is left of the, where where is there left room to go she's as far left as <laughs> yeah well this else? was i this was what i was predicting oh, okay, in okay. june and i you know i i mean people who say you know when I, i've written about her more recently at american thinker etc and about two-thirds of the comments people say she's an idiot why are you giving her publicity like an article i would write would you know help her write uh th- as I said, she's led the news cycle and she's just getting started and she'll go as far left as she needs to go. And there's there's no end to it. But um, see, I predicted then again to quote myself, uh, other high profile Democrats are heading in the same direction. This is last June. I'm writing a majority of her party has no problems with socialism and the promise of a handout for all has been a winning strategy for Democrats, ask Barack Obama, who in recent years have remade themselves into Democrat socialists. Remember the Newsweek cover at the time of Obama's first inauguration, quote, we are all socialists now. And, uh, you know, I went on. I won't belabor my quotes here, but I didn't. I did quote Ocasio-Cortez's 
55-year-old mother, Blanca Ocasio-Cortez, who said uh, last June after her daughter's victory in the primary, quote, her aspiration is to be the president. So, uh, you know, she will do whatever it takes. And she will just let me quote briefly. This, this is what a friend of mine wrote, uh, two or three sentences. A friend of mine who's an astute political observer. And she sent me this quote two days after Ocasio won the primary. My friend said, quote, she's looking like a total construct, groomed and primed in secret, prepared for this political world. See how she smiles, how happy and young and healthy she looks. If you vote for her, you'll also feel young and happy and healthy and smiley. That's the strategy, and it will work, because socialism is a multi-generational strategy, and the advancing phalanx of socialist voters is four generations deep, end quote. And I return to the quote I started this program with, a quote from the demographer who said, the young generation, and by young I mean 20s, 30s, even 40s, you know, See, you they're, pointed they're, this they're Marxists. They've been trained to be Marxist, Leninists, Gaia-worshipping, atheistic punks. And that's who is going to be running the country. They've got the energy. They've got the media. They've got the memes. And they're going for the, the full-blown victory now. And we've got to be aware of that. I'm not... Consciously wanting to see the glasses half empty, but I report it. I, I call the shots as I see them, and I called it correctly last June. When I look at the comments in American Thinker, then a majority of them were telling me that I was totally wrong, and I was totally right, and I'm going to stand up and take a bow because nobody else is going to give me any damn credit for this. And when I reread my article last week, I thought I was 100% right. You were. I rest my case. Go, Peter. And I'm going to tell you, the people who are saying otherwise, writing otherwise, saying, don't give her the oxygen. Well, other people, enough others are giving her the oxygen. And if you don't, and you have, counter that narrative, it is to our peril. And you know something? As I said, as I said, uh, the last uh, hour, you know, uh, look, I for my for my generation, I apologize. Whether it be the seventies, watching that disco ball with the, you know, the funny um, or with the uh, nice color lights uh, flashing against the walls, or um, in the seventies, or in the eighties, you know, uh, 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 doing blow off the back of a DeLorean, or in the nineties, perhaps, you know, worried about a, a financial portfolio. None of us, or at least not me was concerned about this socialism, and now here we are, and I must atone, and uh, all of us out there must atone for what we did not do. And you, thank you for pointing this out, and thank you for standing firm, and thank you, a um, hundred times thank you. And don't don't let anyone tell you that uh, we shouldn't be talking about this or whatever, because you are a hundred percent. Well, and right. I'm not trying to grab all credit either. Others were there before me, uh, Diana West, uh, numerous others. I, I'm building on the work of many people who came before me as well. But I spent much of last year in my articles and in my broadcast here uh, charting the rush to the radical, radical left of first the Occupy movement, then the local Democratic parties, and then the national Democratic Party. They couldn't be more Marxist communist than they are right now, and there's no end in sight. Now, last week, and I know you talked about this, the Green New Deal 
that Ocasio-Cortez and others have proposed, and ridiculous as this might seem to those of us who still have a brain functioning, the count today is that 70 Democrat representatives in the House of Representatives have endorsed Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal, 70, 7, 0. 12 Democrat members of the United States Senate have endorsed it, including four of the announced leading candidates for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination. So they obviously feel that there is grist for the mill here. There are votes there and they are going down that path. So, you know, I mean, it's absurd. The 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 FAQ, FAQ, that was then later uh, removed that Ocasio-Cortez's office put out, but you can still find it in cached versions, you know, demanding that we have 100% renewable energy by 2030, modifying every single building in the United States for energy efficiency by then, putting an end to air travel, providing socialized medicine, free education through college, free income for those unable or unwilling to work. In 1976, Jerry Brown, who I was covering when he was running for president then, when he had his wits about him then, one of his famous quotes that year was, I'm not a Santa Claus with a bag of tricks or a bag of gifts, end quote. Well, today, the Democratic Party is Santa Claus on steroids. So again, I say ignore AOC or Joan Peril. I mean, last week it came out that Netflix had paid $10 million for the rights to a puff piece biographical film, a documentary on Ocasio-Cortez, which is going to be showing on Netflix all over the world. Others have pointed out that she's really the perfect candidate for the future voters. She's a millennial, she's a person of color, and she's a woman, and she's a socialist. And, you know, while I'm at it, here is a here's a candidate I'm also concerned about. She isn't getting much publicity, but I wrote about her at American Thinker recently. Uh, Another arm of the psychic assault on us is people is the new age, as exemplified by Marianne Williamson. And as I said, I wrote an article about her uh, two weeks ago at American Thinker. Marianne Williamson has more Twitter followers then I think most or all of the other announced Democrat candidates for president, and she's running for president now. Uh, just as Ocasio-Cortez is the face of socialism, Marianne Williamson is the face of the new age, a Gaia-worshipping goddess of an alternative spiritual reality. So if AOC is the political guru, Marianne Williamson is the spiritual guru, and her her uh, tentacles run very, very deep into this culture. I titled my article at AT, American Thinker, New Age Guru, Marianne Williamson throws her aura into the 2020 presidential ring, end quote. She, rep- she supports socialized medicine, but taking it even a step further, reparations – for black Americans because of slavery. She's anti-military, pro-open borders, the whole ball of wax. So, you know, and and one after the other, every new candidate that comes out, I mean, yesterday it was Klobuchar had declared, and, you know, there's 10 of them now who are declared, and the, the sky's the limit. There could be 20 or 30 Democrat candidates by the time we're finished with them all declaring. They're all supporting socialized medicine, you know, completely ending uh, free market medicine, what's left of it, and, and, and insurance. They want everything to be government run. 
And this would be the biggest collection of industries uh, coming under the government control because it's not only doctors and nurses that comprise the medical industrial complex. It's, I think, 10 million or more of workers associated with the healthcare sector. So they would all either have to be working under government control or for the government or be very closely monitored according to the hundreds of thousands of regulations that will come out if we have full-blown socialized medicine. So, you know, and here's another thing I've been thinking about. When you look at where the, the push is, the power in going forward to 2020, you know, those of us on the right, some folks sitting back going, well, Trump's going to win a landslide. He's going to walk away with this. Well, you know, look at what Alex Jones said yesterday before you go down that path. But but even if we assume that President Trump is the superior candidate, he's doing a great job, he's talking sense, and these Democrats are all crazy, the Democratic base is very, very angry right now. And it's my contention that pent-up anger and frustration often influences presidential elections as much or more than anything else. Now, just look at a few recent ones. 1968, Nixon's election. The silent majority then was absolutely fed up with the riots, LBJ, campus radicals, the Vietnam War, the Chicago Convention, Democratic Convention riots, etc. So Nixon squeaked in that year, even though he was he had to call himself the new Nixon. He was still the old Nixon, but he got in there because people were P.O.'d. 1980, Ronald Reagan won. Uh, because he was a counter to Jimmy Carter's failures, abject failures in the economy, energy, foreign policy. And again, people were angry and they voted accordingly. 1992, Bill Clinton won. Uh, well, not only because Ross Perot split the conservative vote, but people were angry at George H.W. Bush because of the economy. That was going south. They wanted something new. 2008, Barack Hussein Obama. By then, Enough voters were fed up with George W. Bush. Thank God we didn't get a third Bush in there, right? Uh, they were fed up with George W. Bush, and uh, Obama was the new kid on the block, and, and he, he did. 2016, Donald J. Trump. Thank God enough people voting, in, especially in key states, had had it with eight years of Obama and Hillary Rodham Clinton, and they said enough and between that and divine intervention and people praying like their lives depended on it, we got, thank God, President Donald Trey J. Trump. Now, this year or this year and next year, on top of this angry resistance, which has been going full scale since uh, Inauguration Day two years ago, we also have this seductive lure of free stuff via this Green New Deal. I mean, it sounds ridiculous to us, the Green New Deal, because we work for a living. We pay taxes, and, and but half the people in this country don't. And this is a lure for the unwilling to be taken care of, literally the unwilling in the FAQ that Ocasio-Cortez put out about her Green New Deal. This is madness, and yet it's Santa Claus with an unending and endless bag of tricks of free stuff so never rule out that that's what could win the day if we don't get our act together and win in 2020 yeah it's uh unbelievable and um the, the green new deal reads like a 
a fantasy land wish list of a, a two year old, you know, with wishful <laughs> thinking. It, it, it's even, okay. I don't even know how to say this without freaking out and getting angry. Uh, with all the money in the world, it, it's still almost an insurmountable task. And I say that because not, not, not okay. With all the money in the world. Yeah. You could tear down all the buildings and, and rebuild everything. But what about the energy? They have no solution. They want to take away the, uh, the air traffic, the planes. They want to take Look, away it, the cars. It, they want to take away all the greenhouse gas emissions. It's insanity. But only, well, you only know what was also insane. High speed rail. You know what was also insane, guys? In 20, 2008, 2009, Hussein Obama, once he got in there in the White House, said, I have a plan to save medical care in this country, and it's called Obamacare, and that's going to take care of it, Right. Ten years later now, the health care and, – and it was it was creeping socialism. It was more than creeping. It was the government's foot in the door that essentially began the ruination of medical care in this country. Ten years later, it has failed abysmally. Health care is more expensive than ever, and there's now a groundswell of millions of people. In fact, exit polls showed that that was a key determinant in the Democrats taking the House last November. And I believe those exit polls because it confirms what I have seen in my own experience. But anyway, it failed. And they build on the failure. They say, well, now to take care of this bad situation, we have to have full socialized medicine, single player, Venezuela, Cuba, Soviet style healthcare that's the answer so don't don't assume that the intelligence of the american voter is going to see through this nonsense and vote accordingly because they failed the test with obamacare they not only supported obama getting in there but when he and obamacare failed they voted the democrats back into the house in last november with more promises of complete takeover of the medical care industry in this country point taken and i mean that. So, you're right yeah, you know i mean I, I you know again i hate to be the canary in the coal mine here but folks i've been doing this for 50 years now and this is exactly how i see it apparently it's i, I, I mean i'm not taking credit for uh, what alex jones is saying he's he's going down the same path on his own right? Oh, you're right you you guys respect alex you you do respect you too show well i respect yeah. Couple of, yeah a couple of weeks you know i mean we have got to we have got to endorse the people who have been telling it like it is and a lot of these johnny come latelys and jane come latelys who are out there on the internet and then they ratchet up the commenters to say oh just sit back the hammer's going to fall hillary's in gitmo right now awaiting the trial a bs wake up and smell the coffee or we're going down in 2020 hey before i uh, run out of time here i wanted to say a few quick words about um the the <laughs> The blackface scandal. God, we are living to see everything now, right? Yeah. So I was doing a little research today on uh, blackface. You know, I guess we're going to have to throw out the cultural history of this country because the first acknowledged talky film in 1927, The Jazz Singer, starring Al Jolson, it was part talky, part silent. Well, the talk part is when he sang songs. One of them was – or several of them he was singing in blackface, including the song Mammy. And this film, by the way, was remade several times, including as recently in 1980 
with Neil Diamond and apparently there was a black face, Neil Diamond and Laurence Olivier, apparently there was a black face routine there. And a, a scholar named Corin Willis said this about the original uh, jazz singer, 1927. He said, quote, the only film where blackface is central to the narrative development and thematic expression, end quote. Now, recently, you know, when all this blackface stuff coming up and the immediately jumping on these politicians say they got to resign because of what they did 35 years ago. And you know, people make up their own minds on that, but certainly seem like a bit of a rush to judgment. You know, I, I found an article from 2003 by uh, an intellectual named John McWhorter, who's actually a leftist, but he was writing this in the conservative city journal. And it was an examination and a takedown of rap hip hop. And his quoting of rap lyrics in there, so many uses of the N-word and other words we can't even mention on here. And they were mentioned in this article on Expurgated. So, you know, that's something to think about. I mean, last night, the Grammy Awards, which were turned into the Rap Hip Hop Awards, and these uh, gram- these rap hip hop so-called artists who are nominated and won, if you go into their raps, into what they are recording and producing uh, I, I don't know how they can look at anyone who who performed at a Halloween stunt in blackface and, and criticize them. I just don't get it. But I, I've been comparing notes, as I've mentioned before, with a, a friend of mine on the East Coast who is a, a very uh, uh, credentialed uh, person. She's got a Ph.D. and uh, she happens to be black. And, and we compare notes on uh, our, our mutual love of soul music and Motown of the 1960s, and, and and she's really a great correspondent. I asked her what she thought about the blackface thing, and she said uh, she sent me an email and said this: uh, for these young men in college, you know, namely these politicians, these white politicians in Virginia now, for these young men in college and graduate school, even in the 80s, only shows the insensitivity, possible contempt, and frivolity that they've given their station in life, just like Animal House. Uh, blackface photos and the KKK are a dime a dozen. Growing up in the 50s, as she did, they were represented everywhere. Uh, she went on to say, blackface was also available to us as children for Halloween in New York City then, in the 50s and 60s, as we used to dress up as hobos and create a grimy face, or to be clowns like Red Skelton and Emmett Kelly, uh, the clown, did. Uh, then she went on to say, in a nutshell, the outrage I have for Governor Northam is for the video of the on-air explanation he gives for the infanticide of a baby that's been born, a bill that he is in, has endorsed. That's why he should resign. So, you know, I actually read uh, a theory which, who knows, could be plausible, that the Democrats were so quick to jump on the three Democratic politicians in Virginia, um, you know, the attorney general, the um, uh, lieutenant governor and the governor and and pronounce them all guilty and say they got to get out of there. The Democrats are calling for, for that because to get rid of Governor Northam would solve the problem of this guy being uh, an irritant leading up to 2020 and Republicans could make hay out of the infanticide statements that he made two weeks ago today in his interview at WTOP radio in Washington, D.C. So I thought that was an interesting theory. But uh, oh, and there was a poll today, supposedly, of, of Virginia voters and the black voters in Virginia who were polled uh, by a majority. Let's see. 
47% said that Governor Northam should not step down. These are black Virginians. 37% said he should. And of course, the case of Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, the uh, black man who's the lieutenant governor, uh, you know, I would apply to him. Of course, he's, he's been it's been alleged that he sexually assaulted uh, two women, one of them uh, alleged rape. Well, uh, he hasn't had his day in court yet. These are accusations. There has been no investigation. And uh, if we're going to stay with the uh, with, with what we were holding to during the Kavanaugh affair, we have to say he deserves his day in court or someplace before he's kicked out of office. And and in fact, it's more conservatives who are saying that than people on the left. So I think we've got kind of a reverse mirror image here of what's going on. The Democrats are rushing to judgment, even against some of their own, when we conservatives in many cases are being more consistent and saying we all need to stick with the Constitution, and accusations are one thing, but evidence and an adjudication at some level is another before we go on a witch hunt here. Very well said. Um, Peter, we got about two and a half, three minutes left. Uh, I know I mentioned the, the Trump and the potential for getting together on a border wall and uh, reaching some kind of deal. Um is there any way that he, the media is going to give him – any way he wins uh, by avoiding a shutdown, um, anything short of getting the full funding for the border wall? Can he turn that into a victory? Well, it will certainly reinforce his base, and that's all important because he needs every last vote and all the support he can get from his base as we move forward to 2020 and all the uh, the, the dirt that's going to come up before then. And, and we have to have faith that his work on the economy, if that can be allowed to go forward, and other things, foreign policy, et cetera. He has the meeting, next meeting with Chairman Kim coming up later this month in Vietnam, that the, it will eventually sink in that he is good for the country. But when people ask me, you know, as I, I get emails, I get tweets, or, or what do we do? What should we do, Peter? I said, well, all I can do and all any of us can do is to con- continue to talk this up continue to share the information however we can one-on-one with our friends family if we can have a social media presence a youtube presence you know nothing is too small in this info war and the second part of that is we have to pray like we've never prayed before like our lives depended on it because our lives are depending on it and uh you know, my quote at the at the top of the broadcast from uh, from one of the commenters at YouTube who said, basically, we have to keep – well, this is a paraphrase. We have to keep our eye on the prize with all of this multifactorial assault that's coming at us, uh, the, the, the matrix of lies, the, the fake media. The fa- I mean, this is – it's getting worse every single day. I mean, it's so toxic that it literally – makes you sick. Some of my correspondents are sharing with me it's making them sick. It's making me sick. We have to try to balance it with things that don't make us sick because it will kill you just where we're going in the day-to-day world here. It's absolute insanity compounded by the fact that I would say close to one half or maybe even one more, more than one half of the people in this country right now have got their heads up there, you know where, where the sun don't shine. 
And we have to pray for deliverance from them, from their ignorance, from their complicity in evil. And we have to pray that they won't vote in 2020 in the, le- in the next election and the people with their brains still intact will vote. And, uh, you know, that's all I can say about that. But, uh, you know, pray hard, study the issues and talk, share with everyone in sight what your truth is. Amen. And you very well said, extremely uh, succinct and, and very on point tonight. Thank you so much, Peter. Thanks for another I really great appreciate hour. it. Yeah. yeah. Tomorrow, uh, we got a special guest for you. We also have activist mommy coming on tomorrow uh, to share some of what she's got going on. So make sure you tune in tomorrow yeah, at 7 p.m. Hagman Report Live. Yeah, she was on InfoWars the day we were on, uh, excuse me, earlier in the show. Have a good night, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 